to the Morning Sky Show with Super Sly 75. You're listening to OnTheWakeUpRadio.com. Sign up for OTWTube.com, uncensored free speech platform. Shout out to our super producer, Cindy Ashby. All shows are live on TheWakeUpRadio.com. Catch replays on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, as well as otwtube.com. And now back to your host, Super Sly 75. All right, what's happening? Yeah, Ready Player One. You want me to look that up? Okay, you know what? Uh, for the next 20 minutes, somebody asked me to look up Shaft. Uh, got the notice this time. That's what's up. That's what's up. Carrie. Hey, all right. All right. Okay. Chris, my man, my youngin, my youngin. I say youngin respectfully, youngin spirit, definitely youngin spirit. Um, horn dog what's happening. Uh, let's see. B boss is here. You know what? Let me, somebody has, somebody said shaft and I was like, ugh. I'm only going to do the first shaft. Let's do, let's look up shaft. I know I'm, I'm waiting. I'm not, I'm going kind of early and usually I'll wait for the room to fill up, but man, let's see. Let's see what shaft, the first shaft with Samuel L. Someone said a bunch of A-listers, man. Shaft did not have any A-listers in his movies. Shaft respectfully. I think some of y'all don't know what the term A-lister actually refers to, but it's okay. So the first one came out in 2000. The first one came out in 2000, the first shaft, the first shaft. And once again, this is based on the strength of Samuel L. Jackson. Um, it did 107 million worldwide. Internationally, it did 37 million. Domestically, $70 million against a budget of $46 million. This is a win. Nonetheless, this is a win. Um, it doesn't give me the majority of the international territories, but nonetheless, this is a win. This is a win. Will Smith is still the black Hollywood A-list standard. Period. Point blank. I just make an open statement. Ah, it's okay. It's cool. No worries. No worries. You're good. You're good. You're good. Dame T was happening. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Now let me pull this back. I have a feeling someone's going to say something else. I just want to keep this page open just in case, just in case. I got some acknowledgments, some corrections to make on the um, the cash apps from yesterday. So first important, immediate correction I need to make. It was crazy ass Nick Taylor, a.k.a. Gunplay. <laughs> it was Nick that sent me the cash app with the Li Jing P. <laughs> Shout out to Nick Taylor, a.k.a. Gunplay. He was the one that sent me the 10 on the cash app for Xi, for Xi Jinping said Brack Suburban outside. I just want to get everything corrected and everybody get their they proper due. So. <laughs> and then um, my man Conspiracy shot me 11-11. He said, for luck is in the air tonight, bro. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. So I apologize if I got anything messed up or I didn't acknowledge it, the, the cash outs from yesterday. Uh, I, I got everybody else. 
Okay, cool. Okay. Let's make sure everybody gets their gets their props. All right. I saw a video of closed stores in downtown saying, okay, you know what, Gene? Shout out to Gene. Let's go ahead and let's get that covered right now. Let's get into why, exactly why the shoplifting in California is allowed to go on the way it's been. Let's get right into it. I'm not going to waste anybody's time. Everybody has their own theories as to why I want to hear from the horse's mouth and some of the people that's been affected by this. I think this is very important. Let's go. Yvette, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. We want to talk to you about your story. You had stores in LA. You worked very hard to build these stores. And then they got robbed multiple times, mm -hmm. 12 times. And then you had to shut down. We want to talk to you about what happened. Yes. Wait, her stores got robbed 12 times. Black business owner. Well, it's rough out here in California. Okay, let's go. The name of my business was Yvette's Beauty Supply. And I got started in this business because of my love for wigs. And I started in a very, very small boutique in Sherman Oaks, California, um, inside of a salon suite. And my very first customer was a lady that was uh, going through chemo. And as she sat in my chair, her hair was literally falling out. And she cried. We, we talked for maybe an hour. And once I put this wig on her head, everything about her changed. She felt beautiful. She felt like she could go on and she could conquer the chemo. And she could go to her high school. Shout out to her because I think people tend to forget that a lot of wigs, the majority of wig sales are for uh, chemo uh, chemotherapy patients. Like the majority of wigs sold are, are the results of chemo. That's how many women, people, you know, are, are battling cancer right now. So shout out to her, um, this woman here. But, you know, when people say wigs, the majority of wig sales are because of chemotherapy. And I, I can hear a running joke that the fact that she ran, ran a salon and, and a beauty store, because we've seen many, many videos of a certain demographic of people attacking these, uh, these, these beauty supply stores. Yes. Okay, let's continue. Class reunion and look beautiful. And at that moment, my love for wigs developed into a passion. A, a passion to help women and girls and even men. Even men come in sometimes that are experiencing medical hair loss. But at that moment, it developed into a passion for wigs, especially to help those that are experiencing medical hair loss, be it going through chemo, cancer, alopecia, whatever. Um, medical hair loss they're experiencing. And it went from having a hair and wig boutique to a beauty supply. But recently, with all of the thefts and the burglaries and the shoplifting, my passion has been stolen. Uh oh. I've had so many break-ins. Um, I've had customers pull knives on me at my store. Okay, now I'm trying to see what the, the, the nationality of these uh, offenders are. Kind of hard to tell. I don't want to speculate but we can speculate. I uh, just recently had a break-in. Okay, that looks like a white woman. I'm just saying, but let's continue. At my Tarzana store, and after being diagnosed with diabetes and high blood pressure in February, I had to make a decision if my businesses were worth 
my life, no. my health. Right. And so I closed my businesses. I started closing my stores in February and got a phone call from a police officer on February 13th that someone broke into my store. And I would say I'm pretty much numb to it now, you know, because I have worked so hard, so hard that I miss time with my family, miss time with my granddaughter in the summers because of my business. It's been very, very tough. But at the same time, I know I can't give up because not only was this my passion, but I started this to create generational wealth as well. Oh, that term again. Listen, I have my thoughts on generational wealth, but I'm not I'm not here to to shout out, shout that out. Let's go as to leave something for my granddaughter and her coming from Minnesota to work in the stores in the summer. She's 10. She loves it. She absolutely loves working in the stores in the summer. And it's something that she wants to take over one day. So I know that I have to keep this going. So can you take us back to the first time you experienced mm-hmm. this uh, breaking? It wasn't like this when you started, right? Was it, how was it in 2016? No, it wasn't like this at all. I had maybe one theft and this, I, I came in the store and caught this lady stuffing some of my raw Indian hair bundles in her clothes and called the police and she went to jail. And I didn't have any more problems, just the average, you know, shoplifter here and there. Like they would be like trying to take something right. without you looking. Right, like yes, that. yes. but. At the height of the pandemic, when the pandemic first started, now I'm going to go back. I'm essential, so my businesses were never shut down because I provide medical wigs and I accept insurance. So at the beginning of the pandemic, three young men came into my Pasadena store and ran out the door with four high-end wigs. And from there, it just went on and on and on. From 2020 Uh to 23, there has been 12 break-ins numerous shoplifting and the shoplifting is not just little petty things they come in with big bags and load them up and run out the door so they come during the day yes when the store is open yes the shoplifting occurs when the store is open the burglaries occurs when the store is closed at night damn so she getting hit from the front end and the back end good lord old country soaps are hand come on now brother i i get it gotta sell the old country soaps we're not here for the old country soaps we're not here for that. Okay, let's continue. Were there when they came in front of your face and took things? Well, there was one time, this was back in October. I was working at my Tarzana store. Just October last year. October 2022. Just came from a beautiful uh, week vacation in Maui with my boyfriend, my store manager. Her father passed away, so I decided to give her the day off, and I would go and work for her that day. And I, um, a lady called who had cancer, and she wanted to come in and uh, try on a wig so that she can purchase a medical wig. So she came in. I'm, my All of my attention is on this client Uh-oh. because my attention is to make her feel good, make her feel comfortable, make her feel beautiful when she walks out that door. And so I heard some noise going on behind me, bags ruffling. And the client and I looked in the mirror and we noticed at the same time that these three young girls were stuffing a lot of merchandise into their huge shopping bags. So when I went to confront them, one of them pulled a knife out on me. Oh, no. That was a very scary time, you know, um, because I had to not only think about myself, but my client Uh who was in there as well, if she got hurt. So I had to open the door and let them out. About three weeks later, a man comes in with a knife. In the same store? The same store. And you were there? Yes, I was there. Yes. And he was shoplifting. So, you know, I've had to deal with things like that. So did you call the police? Afterwards, what what happened? The first time I did not call the police because I was so shocked that it happened. After I helped my client, I just closed the store and went home and didn't open up the store for a week, about almost a week, because 
I was just shocked that this happened to me. The second time I didn't call the police, it was in and out, you know, and the police have been to my store so many times. Wow. You know, I figured, okay, I wasn't hurt. Just be more cautious mm -hmm. from now on of who I let in the store. How much merchandise, so how much are the cost of these wigs and how much merchandise did they take when they come and put it My on? last burglary was over $25,000 in wigs. 25K in wigs, y'all. 25K in wigs. And hair extensions. So in total, I have lost over $150,000 wow. in burglaries. Wow. And does the insurance cover that? Or? Sometimes, not all the time, no. I had the chance to sit down with John Kabatak, who represents small businesses, to see if this is occurring across California and what the state leaders and government is doing about it. Uh, so it nothing. breaks my heart every time I hear somebody like Yvette with her story. What we're finding is, is unfortunately, Yvette is just one of many, many, many businesses out there. Uh, and we see it in Sacramento County. Uh, we've seen this in San Jose. We're seeing it in Los Angeles. We're seeing problems all over the place. And the NFIB, National Federation of Independent Business, we represent about 14,000 small businesses in California. We have been meeting with policymakers in Sacramento, governor's staff, attorney general's staff, That's calling insane. for them to focus on the most vulnerable individuals in California that are getting. Yeah, bro, wigs and weeds, they're, they're a billion dollar business, man. It's a billion dollar business. Hit by property crimes, small and ethnic businesses and families and neighborhoods. I mean, we feel terrible that a CVS Health or a Saks Fifth Avenue becomes a victim of these kinds of property crimes, but the bigger, more pervasive, more commonplace problems that we're finding oh. are with these small businesses in our communities and they can't fight for themselves and our policymakers are doing nothing to address it. What we're hearing from most in Sacramento is that we're, we really want to help, we really want to address the crime. We also hear it from people on these public safety committees that say we do care about the small businesses and the families, but we're not seeing it. In 2022, there were 17 pieces of legislation, many authored by Democrats and Republicans alike. Mm. None of them made it out of committee. Mm. And in this year, there are about seven or eight, and again, bills that would include rehabilitation plus accountability for the crime and nothing has moved forward. So what we're hearing a lot in Sacramento is lip service and nothing getting done. To their credit, we've had both Democrat and Republican legislators looking to fix Prop 47. Some have addressed re reducing that amount from $950 down to 400 or 450, back to where it was originally, which we, we believe would help mitigate these crimes. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen efforts where from both Democrats and Republicans to really account for two or three repeat property crime thefts. So basically anything under a thousand dollars, you could pretty much just take it. Anything more than a thousand, then they'll, you know, then they'll look into prosecuting, but that then would warrant their time behind bars. We think that's realistic. Uh, again, we are getting some leaders in Sacramento who on both sides of the political aisle want to get something done. They're hearing it in their backyard. They're feeling the pain. Uh, but at the end of the God. day, these public safety committees aren't even letting them see Martina. the light of day. So we either need to change the public safety committee makeup and we call upon our leaders to get that done. Was there a time you called the police and you were hoping that they will figure it out? Well, yes. Um, my Pasadena store has been robbed numerous times. When the police come out, sometimes they don't even get out of the car. Mm. My employee has walked up to the car, told them what happened. They look at the window and they give us the police report number. In Tarzana, I have had, the police have really, really done their job. Um, one individual was arrested. I believe he's still in jail. I received documents about three weeks ago um, that I may be receiving restitution. And the new case, the police are working diligently to find out who these people are. Mm -hmm. And you have like footage of these people. You have the cameras, right? Yes, yeah. I have very good um, security cameras and I, they, doc they record everything. So who are these people? Is it just random people? They, some of them, I believe, are customers. 
or they have been in the store at one point. Because looking at the video footage. You know, this reminds me of the opening scene to the Batman. The Robert Pattinson's Batman. It's Halloween night and just brazen break-ins. And everyone's just doing all types of crimes and shit. And then the bat signal goes up and everyone's like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, that's what this reminds me Just of. their demeanor and the things that they want, they go directly to it. That lets me know that either they have shopped at the store before, but they have been in, in that store once, maybe twice, to know exactly where the wigs are that they're looking for. Go straight to that wig and snatch that wig down. One of my stores, the young man told my employee, I'm coming back for that wig. I'm definitely wow. coming back for that wig. Well, three nights later, at three o'clock in the morning, when the store was closed, he came back for that wig. Mm. He broke the glass. He broke the glass in. and came in, pulled down two wigs, but only took the one wig that he said he was coming back for. That's crazy. A man said so, that. Yeah. So they, it's that brazen. People are coming and... Yes. And you put a lot of effort in building this business. Can you tell us what was it like to build this? It was very hard because I am a solo entrepreneur. I do everything myself from painting to moving big, huge fixtures by myself to even installing slat walls sometimes. So I... Yo, you know what, Deborah? That's a very... Very insightful point. I didn't even think about that. Hired thieves to drive out the competition. That's crazy. I never thought about that. Let's go. Put in, have you ever heard, I put in my blood, sweat, and tears? Yeah. Well, with every single store, I put in blood, sweat, and tears. I've cut a finger, cut a leg. <laughs> <laughs> I've cried. I've sweated. So I literally put in my blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes I'm there a whole week without going home building this business. So it's been very hard. But at the same time, it has been it was rewarding because I was creating something for my children and my grandchildren. And what was it like to help these people that are uh, dealing with cancer? I loved helping them because okay. they are their self-esteem is low. They feel less attractive. And I love making them feel beautiful again. And it didn't even take makeup to make them feel beautiful. Just putting a wig on their head and making them feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like my hair is never, has never fallen out. So that is my passion. I love it. What was the breaking point for you? The breaking point for me was the first time that the knife was pulled on me. That was pretty much my breaking point. That day, I felt my passion was stolen. Mm. With all of the break-ins, all of the retail theft, um, all of the robberies, I felt that my passion was stolen. And it's been hard to get that passion back. But I know I can't give up. Did you feel that you could lose your life at work? Did you feel, and what about your employees? I felt that I could lose my life over some merchandise, yes. I was actually working the store by myself that day because I had given the employee off so that she can go and bury her father. I have a pretty good relationship with all of my staff, but there were times where they were scared. There were times where, you know, some of them have ran out the door after a customer that was shoplifting. But, um, you know, and I had to teach them not to do that. Never put your life in danger for some merchandise. merchandise but, right, right. yeah, I'm pretty sure that, you know, there were times where they were a little scared to come to work because this was happening on a weekly basis, practically. On a weekly basis? Yes. The regular? Oh, the regular with the shoplifting. The break-ins were happening at least every other month. Three, four times a year. Break breaking. your glass. Yes. You have to fix it the next morning. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the regular shoplifting, weekly, somebody will come in. Oh, fix the shoplifting was daily. Wow. Yes. Okay, so I'm waiting for her to say, well, I, I, I decided to hire 
armed security. I'm waiting for her to say this, and I'm not hearing this, right? I'm not here. I mean, shit. Planet Fitness. The plant, the Planet Fitness I go to, that armed security, the McDonald's, across from the Planet Fitness, they have armed security. I don't mean Taser. I mean Glock Nine. <laughs> You know, I'm talking Glock, Glock 17, Gen 5, 9 millimeter armed security. So this is California. Like, I, I'm waiting for her to say I, I hired armed security. Let's see if she says I finally broke down and hired armed security. And you wouldn't report them? The regular, no, because I know the police weren't going to come out because someone stole a $100 <laughs> wig or, you know, they stole merchandise. So. No. To see the law enforcement's perspective, we also had a chance to discuss Yvette's story with Shannon Dykus, who is the sheriff of San Bernardino County. I believe, as well as many of my colleagues believe, that ever since Prop 47, the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act, was passed through, really enabled a number of these shoplifters. And there are a couple of changes that occurred as it relates to shoplifting as a whole. Grand theft used to be the breaking point of $400 or more. Yep. where law enforcement would treat that as a felony versus a misdemeanor. Right. What happened during Prop 47 is they raised that threshold to $950. Yep. So what we're seeing at stores just like her store is that people are realizing the cost of these items and they will steal just under that threshold because of the, no, the law enforcement officer, should they catch them, are just going to write them a citation, return. Because it's a $900 misdemeanor. It's a $900 misdemeanor when it used to be a $450 misdemeanor. So anything over above 450 will be constituted a felony. So right now, anything above 900 is a felony. Just as long as you take under $900, it's a misdemeanor. You're not going to even go to court, okay? You're going to get a citation. That's about it. The property and then they go back out. There's really not any um, incentive for them to stop doing it because there's no threat of incarceration. And that's the second step that a lot of people don't realize that were changed. It used to be that a person that was committing shoplifting or these petty thefts could also expose themselves over time, in other words, doing three of these petty thefts to what we called petty theft with a prior. That means your exposure is no longer county jail. Back when grand theft was $400, your exposure, if you did it three times, was now state prison. They've also minimized- Oh, somebody asked why would a gym have hired armed security? What? Dude, bruh, it's California. There's homelessness everywhere. I don't think people really, let me find a comment. And I'm not, I'm not dragging you, bro, but Wait a minute, who, why would they, I'm trying to find the actual comment of who said it who, or who asked the question. Because I don't think y'all really understand how rampant it is out here. Doesn't matter if it's the nice places or the hood, it's everywhere. Do you understand? It's everywhere. Like, because, you know, Planet Fitness has the automatic doors. And people just come in and filth, you know, come in and, you know, homeless people at one point will come into the gym to cool off if it got too hot outside. Same thing they do with Walmart, no different, right? The, the AC is right at the very front. You come in, it's cool. Like, yo, yeah, like, that's a, that's a hazard. That's a danger. Like, it's a shitload of homeless people out here, man, just roaming around in the bushes, in the shade, sides of buildings. Like, they're everywhere. Like, Sometimes they be in the middle of the streets having an episode, holding up traffic. Like, I don't think y'all really understand <laughs> the, the, the levels it's at out here. That there is no petty theft with a prior anymore. So all of the teeth in terms of retail theft has been taken out. 
So what you're seeing in terms of her shop and a number of other businesses, and I hear this from our business community, getting a citation doesn't prevent the person from coming back an hour later after the law enforcement has been there. It doesn't prevent them from going out and tell other criminals that this is an easy target and you can come out and you can do these things. So the frequency, that's what you see the frequency going through, whether it's the same person committing it over and over again or whether they're telling other people. Then it becomes to a point for a business owner realistically do you even call the cops anymore and think about how many times and i know we've all seen these in, in newspapers you have staff that are trying to stop shoplifters and being assaulted by a shoplifter or getting in a fight and think about so the employees for lulu nova they were fired for trying to stop oh lulu mon sorry lulu mon um employees were fired trying to stop um shoplifting I'll, co I'll come back to the, uh, I'll come back to this. We have new response tonight from Lululemon after uh, the company fired two Metro Atlanta women for breaking policy during a robbery. In a statement, Lululemon says that they want to make it clear the two employees who worked at the location in Peachtree Corners were not terminated for calling the police during the robbery. They were terminated for, quote, knowingly violating our zero tolerance policy related to physically engaging with the perpetrators, which put their lives and the safety of our guests and other employees at risk. Check out this video. This is the video they're talking about taken by one of the women who was fired at the time in it you can actually uh, hear the women telling the suspects to leave and get out one of the women fired was an assistant manager at the time the other tells 11 alive that she's been with that company for five years atlanta police said that three suspects involved in that robbery all locked up they were arrested and now facing felony charges okay we have new response tonight from my, Lula. Bad, my bad all right so now you got kind of a context as, as, as to why they don't you know about how that boils down to liability and insurance concerns for a business person, they end up having to make a business decision where they don't even call anymore, now they take the loss. And what does that do? The victimization now increases because we're not calling, we're not reporting, we're not doing these things. They're just trying to balance it and continue to make their businesses work. And what we're also missing is the root cause. Selling wigs to cancer patients to make them feel better about their lives. I can tell you firsthand, my first wife passed away as a result of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that those wigs made all the difference in their personal outlook. That's where the true victimization is going on. Our businesses and the relationship with law enforcement is just that. Yeah, hey, 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 uh, hey uh, conspiracy. I, sh I shouted you out literally just like five minutes ago. <laughs> I, I, I shouted you and Nick out. I gave you y'all y'all proper due for the, the cash out. Thank you, bro. I got, yeah, I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you your shout outs. I got you. Anybody should be able to come into any community, open up a business, and try to realize their dreams. That's what businesses do. And they offer services just like that one to the public, services that are needed. Nobody realizes how important that little coffee shop is, how important that restaurant is for gathering, how important it is that makes community. But now that community, because of these reasons, that business community is leaving because they can't mo make money here. They can't realize the California dream. They can't realize the American dream because the basic premise of safety and security has left the building and unfortunately has left their building. Do you think this is making it very hard to do business in LA or have a business like yours? I think it's very hard because people feel, well, you know what? It's under $1,000. It's not going to be a felony or maybe the police aren't even going to come out. So people are doing things now that we're, we didn't see before the pandemic. Um, that we didn't see once they got a little um, relaxed on the laws or changed the laws. Now people are, I mean, you see people just running in stores with bags and just filling them up. One, they know you're not gonna touch them and they will threaten you and run out the door with all of your merchandise. 
So do you think it's becoming impossible for average people to actually build businesses, like a small business like this? You have to really be strong. You know, um, I guess it comes with the business, you know, the shoplifting, the, the break-ins, burglaries. It comes with the territory, but at the same time, it's scary. But we have to make a living. And uh, what do you think will happen to L.A. if more businesses like yours shut down? I think it would be very sad because we're losing a lot of not just the big corporations, but we're losing a lot of the small businesses. We're losing a lot of the minority-owned businesses because we don't feel that we're protected. I don't see much help. I'm a minority. I haven't, haven't seen much help. You know, for I'm still waiting for her to say I hired armed security at my locations. I'm just holding, I'm hoping, I'm holding out that she's going to say I finally broke down and got the armed security. For, for my business, um, as far as financial or any other way. The people that are coming to, to steal, uh, do you think they've become more brazen? Do you think they've become different? They, they kind of, they might know, they must know the laws, like they... They must know what, what the consequences are, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, they must know what the consequences are because they have come much more brazen. You know, you used to see teenagers shoplifting. Uh-oh. And now I see people from all walks of life shoplifting. I see people from all walks of life when I view my video um, cameras breaking into my stores. So from young to old. So, um, yeah, they have definitely become more brazen. Do you think we have made the kind of theft become somewhat legal? I believe so, because they feel they have rights. I even had one girl t tell me, oh, well, you can't touch me. I have rights. Wow. You're shoplifting in my store, and you're telling me that you have rights. So, yes. So do you think we have made the right and wrong uh, upside down? This it's very upside down. It is very upside down, because in their mind, they're right. They have rights to do this. This is crazy. How did all of this make you feel when you were going through this, this process? I felt disrespected, I felt um, violated, um, and not safe at all in my own business, to the point where we started locking doors and letting people in and out, you know, at our own discretion. So do what the Asians do, have a buzzer system. I mean, and you write Money Mitch, they voted for this. They had a chance to, to recall Gavin Newsom, right? Was it last year, a year and a half ago, they had a chance to, to recall Gavin. They failed to get him out of out of office. Um, this is what, yeah, this is what they voted for. And I hate that she's going through this, but I'm more than sure this woman votes Democrat. I'm I'm more than sure she's a Democrat voter. And um, but do what the Ar the Arabs do: have a buzzer system, buzz people in. If they look sketchy, don't buzz them in. I mean, it's getting to that point. I'm still waiting for her to say. I allocated funds for armed security. I'm waiting for her to say it. I have hope. Taking a chance of missing a sale just because this person looks a little sketchy. Yeah, it looks who sketchy. Who probably really wasn't sketchy. Uh-huh. So it's making you guys to have to judge your customer who's, you know, who's, who could be a potential thief and who could be actually a customer. Exactly. We have become judgmental, yes. You are here vocal about this. Why are you doing this? I am doing this because it has happened so many times and I want law enforcement or law makers to know that we as business owners, we need help. We need you to either change the laws, enforce the laws, but we need help because this is a daily occurrence thing everywhere, all over California and business owners, we don't feel safe. And we're so many businesses like my five stores, for example. Do you think she 
understands the correlation between her voting policies with the policies that of the, of the state. Do you think she understands the correlation of how she votes that what dictates what the policymakers implement? Do you think she has that understanding? I'm just curious. Our closing. Now you came here from Chicago, right? Yes. Oh, Why do you okay, care about well, shit? <laughs> well, then you you used to this then. Okay, well, shit. Okay, there's nothing to talk about. She used to it. She's used to it. She's used to it. California this much. I love California. I love the weather. Yeah. I love the people. Talk about um, it. For me, it just seems like I've been here forever. California is home for me. I'm t- so the that. process you've gone through, does this make you want to give up and not continue? Sometimes it makes me want to give up and just focus on my health. But as I said earlier, I started this to create generational wealth and because it's my passion and my granddaughter loves it. So I know that I can't give up. I'm going to start again, but this time I'm going to um, do things a little different. Okay. More security Uh-oh. because we never had a security officer. So. Thank you, sis. You finally got it. Oh, see, I should have took a wager. She got it, y'all. She's getting it slowly but surely. She's getting it. She's getting it. So I will have a security officer and better uh, alarm systems. So I've created a GoFundMe so that I can get, you know, donations to assist with all that because I'm starting again. And now what do you recommend to average L.A. residents and businesses? For the businesses, I would recommend make sure your business is protected at all times. Know that if you're starting a business, especially a retail business, well, this is really happening with all businesses. Know that we, you are going to experience thefts, break-ins, but be equipped. Um, know how to uh, spot things. For the residents, support your local small business because we need you to survive. And what about the leaders of the state? Okay, now let's see what she says about the policymakers and how important it is to vote which for your best interest. I'm curious to see what she says. Let's go. If, if you had a minute or two with them and they would listen to what you were gonna tell them, what would you tell them? I would tell the leaders of this state to rethink these laws because people think that, oh, if it's under $1,000, it's not gonna be a felony. I'm not going to go to jail. Rewrite these laws to protect us small business owners because if these criminals know that there are going to be some serious repercussions because of your actions, I'm quite sure they will stop and think before they commit the crime. Yvette Ingram, former business owner, it was great to have you on California Insider. If you like the show on our- All right, shout out to, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shout out to CM Macbird sitting down with the, okay, okay, now let's get to the morbid, the morbidity part of the show. Nothing but morbid stuff. Nothing but morbid stuff. I'm I'm slowly doing a pivot. I got fussed out, cussed out all day today by the missus. She said, pivot, pivot, pivot. Pivot. And that's what we's about to do. But anywho, let's get to the morbid part of our show. Let's go. All right, now to this surprising discovery that is defying the laws of science. Uh, Crowds are flocking to the small town of Gower, Missouri to view a Catholic nun's body that appears to show no signs of decay despite being buried for four years. The body of Sister Wilhelmina. Yo, Black Don't Crack has a whole new meaning with this. 
This is hilarious. Four years, the body of sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, who died in 2019 at the age of 95, was exhumed from the monastery grounds so that she could be moved to her final resting place inside the chapel. But when her coffin was unearthed, this is what they found. What? Lancaster's body was apparently incorrupt, which in Catholic tradition means the body did not decay. CNN affiliate KMBC reports people have traveled from across the country to see for themselves. Powerful um, experience, very powerful. It's one of the most rare events in the whole of United States. Not that old, but I've never heard of that in my life. <laughs> well, let me bring in Kelsey Wicks. She she is the executive director for the ACI group and has written about this for the Catholic News Agency. Kelsey, good to see you. Thank you for having me. So walk us through exactly what this group of sisters found when they unearthed, you know, the, the, the body. Well, it's really remarkable, uh, Frederica. When I sat down with the abbess, she said, you know, we, we began to exhume, exhume the body of our foundress to move her into the chapel. It's a longstanding custom in Catholic religious orders to have your founder, founder or foundress in your, in your chapel. And um, as they were exhuming her, there was a crack in the coffin. And so she took a flashlight, looked in, and she goes, I think I saw a foot. And she said, I couldn't have seen a foot. At this point in, in the game, there should be a great deal of decomposition. They were expecting to find skeletal remains. And um, instead, they found an intact body. So she said to her sisters, I found a foot. And they all cheered, um, knowing, of course, mm. what, what this potentially means in Catholic tradition. And so you actually went as well, right? You went to see for yourself. And you and a whole lot of people can see for themselves because she is out in the open. And what did you experience? Okay, so they were moving her body inside the chapel for a final resting place. So that's why they exhumed the body. So that's why. I mean, it was remarkable. The level of detail, even the branding of her sock was still visible. Um, the veil of her habit was made of the same material as the interior lining of the coffin. And that had decayed while the veil had not. Um, there was no smell of um, putrid or decay or anything of this. It was, it was just simply looked as though she had been dead for a day. Um, it was really wow. remarkable. And, and so help people understand, you know, in, in the terms of Catholicism, what is incorruptible? What does it mean? Does she seem to demonstrate everything that it embodies? Um, there's, there does need to be a thorough investigation to make sure that this is um, in a, a case of an incorrupt body. Um, but what it essentially means is that there's, there's a lack of natural process of decay. And that points to a theological reality, which is um, that, you know, at, this, at, this, um, at the end of this life, there is something more. Um, and so people who demonstrate extraordinary levels of holiness within Catholicism often found to have these incorrupt bodies, which suggests that there's some level of closeness to the future <laughs> resurrection that they might have. Is there anything more you can tell us about whose sister Wilhelmina Lancaster was? Yeah, she was um, 95 when she died. She lived 75 years uh, in religious life under the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, which is its own miracle. Um, and at the age of 70, she founded this congregation of Benedictine sisters. They're known for their chart-topping Gregorian chant albums, um, but they've also uh, now become known for, for the body of this woman in an unnatural state of decay and who is giving hope to uh, Catholics and non-Catholics around the country that maybe God is is active now listen i know what the pro-blacks and and the, and the and the kemets and the black israelites gonna say i already know what they're gonna say word for word i already know but yes there's something magical to a certain extent about melanated americans that's that we all know this but let's just continue Wow. So, so what comes next for uh, Sister Wilhelmina? I mean, what, what will the process look like to determine if she, in fact, is an incorruptible? I mean, what, what does it take to ultimately be declared a saint? 
Well, um, first on the level of incorruptibility, it doesn't necessarily demonstrate the holiness of her life although it could be a sign of it. Mm. So in order for her to be canonized, she'll have to go through a process that will begin after the fifth year of her death, that will go through all of her writings, her, her, her virtues, um, her life, to see if there's anything in there that is contradictory to um, the Christian, Christian way. And then after that, she'll need two miracles, one miracle for beatification and one miracle for canonization. Mm. And this, this miracle, if it, if it is found to be um, uh, not as a result of any sort of um, fluke of the way in which she was buried or the, the conditions within the ground, um, which it does not appear to be, would not count for either of those two miracles. Mm. And, and what do you know about how she was prepared for burial? So the abbess told me, and it's been confirmed by the person who signed her death certificate, that she was not embalmed and that she was laid in a simple coffin and without a concrete sarcophagus around it. She was not embalmed. Rose Gold, she was not embalmed. Talk about this, sis. Wait, Tiff, so why, why are black folk mad about this? Why are they mad? Like, seriously, they're mad? That's crazy. Oh, no, not that. Enough of the Gregorian chant between with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure what are they mad about? But no, listen, you got to parade her around. She's on display. You know, everybody's excited. Mainly other people are excited about this. No embalming fluid and placed into the ground. And CNA did an, a series of interviews with morticians around the country, and many of them expressed their shock at, at the fact that a body that was not embalmed would be at this point of lack of decay. It's, it's rather remarkable according to those that study mortuary science. Wow, it is remarkable. That's why so many people are flocking there to see for themselves. And apparently, um, you know, there, there is a process that she'll, you know, the body will actually be, you know, going through this week, right? I mean, there'll be, um, you know, a, a rosary involving, you know, her sisters, and what else do you know? So there, what's fascinating is there will be 20,000 visitors uh, by the end of this weekend, they are anticipating. Wow. So they've had to set up a whole meet and greet system. They have porta-potties down on the property. There are people in lines, volunteers feeding them just to be able to walk through and catch a glimpse of, of sister's body and to pray in front of it. And um, on the 29th, the sisters will hold a rosary procession and mm. then they will- Hey, she was, she was placed in a sarcophagus. So what ended up happening was they were going to move her body inside the chapel for its final resting place. There was a crack and the side of the sarcophagus and someone took a flashlight and looked in and that's when a lady said i see a foot and they prompt it prompted them to exhume the body completely so that's that's why but um yeah man this is still you know some some spiritual shit if you and if you're ready to receive it and in tune with this you know this is uh this is pretty interesting i, I believe she gets to sainthood after the fifth year so we got one more year and then she doesn't de decay you know, she'll pass the rights and they, they'll deem her a saint. Don't y'all want that? Y'all don't want a black woman to be a saint? Black nun? I, I'm rooting for her to get the sainthood. We'll formally uh, move her body into a glass enclosed, enclosed case and um, put her final remains inside the chapel with the sisters while they wait to build a shrine to St. Joseph where they hope to bury her. Wow, that's incredible. And then potentially other things could happen within the next year because you mentioned the whole, you know, fifth year after um, one's death potentially the process of canonization if it comes to that. So, wow, that's what a right. journey. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this. I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited for this. And I, I don't understand why black folk would be mad. And it went from oh, shit, having bad. a- I don't understand why black folk would be mad. Okay, let's try this one. And then we're gonna get to the morbid 
the morbidity stories. What is this story about? I'm curious. Well, that violent crime has left so many families reeling, and while some arrests have been made, giving families some closure, others are left in the dark. Uh -oh. Well, that is the case for the family of Brian Bradley and Brandon Veal. Oh, Lord, I already know where this is going. <laughs> I already know where this is going. Let me guess, all three of these sons, all these siblings are no longer with us. I'm guessing. Let's go. An unbelievable story we told you about in Eyewitness News one year ago. Three brothers murdered within seven days of each other. Now, from the time of their murders in February of last year until today, the Metropolitan Crime Commission recorded nearly 300 more homicides, leaving the Veal brothers' father to wonder if he'll ever get justice in his son's brutal murders. Here's my special report in the dark, a family search for answers. Small yet priceless moments. We really got a baby now, man. We got a baby. Three generations together. This is your yeah. big daddy. You're gonna know who this is, man, regardless. Yeah. You're gonna know who this is. You have to. Um, they said no, nothing. She was placed in there. They said the lining of her 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 habit and the lining of the coffin, same material. The actual material of the coffin disintegrated while her her veil habit stayed intact um they said they just basically put the body in there with nothing and put her in a sarcophagus and closed her up that's what they said that's what they said so i'm i'm you know i'm rooting for the sister to get the sainthood let's go this who you gonna rely on something haven't happened to me man oh wow we ask that you be with us in this service, Lord, that you would strengthen this family, Lord, my family, that you'll hold us up. It was just such a senseless handbook. They love their family, and their family loved them dearly. I've saw reports of people losing multiple children in their lives, but three in one week, you know, man, it, it's just, it's insane. They were each other's best friends. We would not give up, we would not stop. All these murders, it's every night. A barrage of bullets. There's been a lot of violence in the city of New Orleans. Kids are supposed to bury the parents. You're not supposed to bury the kids. There could be any family standing here together in our position. My whole life has changed. Okay, I got one. What do you call a deer? Okay, wait. So before we let this story play out, once again, I'm, I'm just going to say generational curses just on GP because there's no way three children uh, should be passing within seven days of each other that's some that's that's a problem and i'm curious to see what their parents were like i don't know what you call a deer with a no eyes i have no idea <laughs> silly kids they were very silly yeah. <laughs> they were very you know, a bunch Jokers. of comedians yeah. yeah they were just silly kids more than one year after losing Brandon, Brian, and Bradley Veal in one week, their family is still in the dark, both literally and figuratively. They all died in a week, y'all. One week, three sons dead. That's three bloodlines, three different legacies sniped out. Okay, let's continue. We're sitting here and we have you all in silhouettes because are you still living in, in some sort of fear? Are you still kind of feeling like that you're in danger because this case hasn't been solved? Definitely, definitely. Um, to know that whoever the perpetrators are are still walking around doing whatever and we have no idea who they could be or who they are and while you haven't seen their faces they've made sure their thoughts and voices are heard and seen one of those voices is that of the boy's father whose name we won't share every day is just a painful moment so anybody they got, like they don't like people don't know who this dude is like he's a big chubby guy with a beard 
Like, come on. It's just, they didn't even give you the, the option of, of, of the voice modulator. They didn't even mask your voice. Ah, I mean, come on. Anyone, you live in this area, you know this guy, you know who this is. This is, come on, man. The experiencing, you know, debt like that and then it being unsolved is a super unfairness. I was with my brother and we were out of town hanging out. We parted ways and my brother was driving home and I got a call. And he was very upset and he began to tell me what had just transpired with Brian. Brian Veal was shot and killed February 13th at Loyola and Washington in Central City. I actually got a call from my son because uh, his his brothers was on, on scene. Brian Veal, the middle child, was murdered on the corner of Washington and Loyola on February 13th of 2021. As their family says they always are, the brothers were together. Brandon wasn't hurt, but Bradley, the youngest brother, was hit twice. He called me from jail. They detained him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Why? both of them. Yeah, they said that was the only way that they could contain them and get control of the scene. Wow. It should be a normal thing to have hysterical brothers seeing their brother get murdered on the street. We asked New Orleans police why the brothers, one who was suffering from two gunshot wounds, were allegedly detained. We did receive a response in time for this report, but we did request the incident report. And on it, no mention of the brothers being detained or why. Uh -oh. So you're learning that. Wait, 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 wait. See, now see, come on, al aluminum. The spirit of aluminum is, is upon us right now. So the cops placed the boy in custody. There's no record of the boy being placed in custody. The parents didn't know. The spirit of aluminum has entered the building, has entered the chat. Let's go. Son, nephew, was murdered. Right. And your other two sons are in jail. So right. those are two things that that hit you at, at one at one time. Right. They were walking down the street, and they told me that the guys just picked on them. They noticed a car following them, and they finally pulled up on them, and then they started shooting out of the car. That's what he told me. And when I talked with the detectives, that's the same thing. They said they had surveillance of the, the car pulling up and just shooting at him. The surveillance video is likely from a camera close to the corner of Washington and Loyola, where an NOPD crime camera is placed. Was that surveillance ever revealed? Not to me. I haven't seen nothing. This family joined the ranks of so many families across New Orleans, devastated and confused. A bond between the Veal brothers broken, with Brian's life ripped from them in front of their very eyes. But Brian's murder was only the beginning of what would turn into a heartbreaking week for the family. You lose one of your sons and a week later, can you kind of take us back to that particular day? Earlier that day, my brother had gone up there to talk to his other two sons and the mother about getting everything finalized yeah. to bury Brian. And I had just sent them some money for them to eat that afternoon. My last words that I heard from him was, we love you, dad, thank you, thank you. And once again, I. I I'm looking at these people with a huge side eye. I, I, something, the parents, the parents, man. Let's go. Dad, we love you, man. I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. Their father says the two brothers walked to the bank after speaking with their dad and later to a local McDonald's to get food. And on their way back home to feed their mom and themselves, they, they were murdered, they were ambushed. The father tells me detectives say a camera was also at the scene of that murder. Still, it wasn't captured. If it had to happen a couple of seconds sooner. So, the camera wasn't working, or they weren't working at the time of this ambush. So, the two remaining sons were ambushed. Okay, let's continue. They could have gotten it off of the, the street camera, and I'm like, are you serious? These cameras don't work like they're supposed to every second? 
these boys were, were gentle giants. <laughs> I just want to debunk the whole idea about, you know, African-American men not taking care of their kids, and those boys were loved. They were not street kids. They were, they were not castaways. They were not in that realm. And it's just like every other murder in the city, you think that they did somebody wrong. That's why they were murdered. And that's the perception that people have when that's not the case. Yet. And you're looking at three unarmed yeah, black unarmed. men. They, if they were into something, right. especially if my brother was gunned down one week and I'm coming out, I'm not coming out exactly. without being armed exactly. if, if I'm into anything. Exactly. These kids were unarmed. Okay, so let me ask everybody, did the universe get this wrong? Let me ask everybody in the chat, did the universe get this wrong? Is the universe wrong in this instance? You mean to tell me these three boys killed in different times within a week? You, you mean to tell me these kids were just straight up innocent victims? Just, okay. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm open. I'm open. I'm open to whatever you guys think. How do I say goodbye? So what we had. A funeral for one within a week turned into a funeral for three. One that wasn't highly publicized out of fear. We were very limited who we invited. I hired Jefferson Parish just to make sure that we didn't have any kind of incidents there. We're like, we sit here with you today knowing exactly what we knew back then. Nothing. Nothing. It's so hard to say goodbye. And it isn't for a lack of trying. Email correspondence between the brother's aunt and almost every level of city government show they've been in constant contact for a year straight. New Orleans police hope the donated billboard will be a visual reminder leading to new information. There were even billboards and bus stop signs purchased by the family with help from anonymous donors. Some calls in, but they said nothing really led to anything substantial. One email between the aunt and NOPD detectives indicates the suspect's vehicle was found. They tried to burn a vehicle, but they didn't, but they weren't, they, they weren't truly successful. They were able to uh, retrieve it before everything was burnt out, so they sent it to get it swabbed for DNA and everything. With a dwindling police force and still in the dark more than a year later, the family says they've lost hope. Not in their fight to find answers, but in the very police department they're relying on for help to bring the Bill brothers murderers to justice. I just think they swamped. I just think they're smothered. Do you feel like it just, them being understaffed and not taking the extra steps to bring extra help in is now at the expense of everyone in the community? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Admit you have a problem. If you have an issue, deal with it the, the, the right way and call in for help. Our elected officials need to step up and take control of our city. Mm. We know nothing and we just want answers. They deserve that. So it is in this time, Lord, that we reach out to you, Lord, that we lift our eyes into the hills from which cometh our help. Brandon Bryan and Bradley's father recorded another video, one that he hopes to show one day to Brandon's son, capturing a moment their family may never forget, remembering three lives lost, one of those being his father's. Oh, wow. All right, little man. As his young life was just beginning. Well, the NOPD did get back to us with a few of those questions that we had about their investigation of this case. Okay. They confirmed that Brandon and Bradley were arrested after the shooting of their brother and booked with battery on a police officer, but they didn't go into detail about exactly what happened that evening. They also confirmed the vehicle used in the shooting of Brian Veal was found, and the suspects did attempt to set it on fire. DNA evidence was gathered and processed, but police say they still have no matches. So they were arrested for battery on an officer. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, well...
That's a breadcrumb, right? That's a breadcrumb. I don't think most people want to follow that those breadcrumbs down that hole. I don't know. I don't know. This this whole thing is sketch is is held to me, extremely sketch. Uh, let's continue with the morbidity part of our show. Do I have that? Let me see if I did. I download that for myself. Did I download? Okay, you know what? Since we're talking morbidity, everyone's talking about it. I might as well too. Um, the the internet, man. Listen, the internet is vicious. Now, this is a, a a very not old, super old IG um live, but it's it's old enough, but still very 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 telling. Now, whatever I always say to y'all, when these rappers and these people have all these kids, you know, like Future and, and them, I, I tell y'all, there's a reason why they have so many kids. Like Nick Cannon, there's a reason why you have so many kids. Just in case you have to pick and choose, right? I, I probably, I'm probably one of the only people that, that will come out and say what it is, right? Because if I'm in the business, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a bunch of kids because you never know, <laughs> I may have to play that card. It is what it is. Don't, 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 nobody acts shy. All right. So now DC Young Fly, this whole this whole thing with uh his his girl Jackie O, um, the whole Donda Joan Rivers aspect of it. That woman was skinny as hell. Had a boob job. She didn't need all that. She didn't need a tummy tuck mommy makeover. She didn't need that. All right, but what's even more telling is because people ask me, well, do you think he gave her up? I say, yeah, he did. I say, yeah, he did. Now, even though this live stream is, is old, but still the way he talks to her, that doesn't change. It may be less frequent, but the energy is still there. But y'all tell me if I'm bugging. He figured it out, y'all. I'm waiting for him. Let's see. Keep giving us the hearts. Hey, DC. <laughs> now, once again, before you even say it, yes, this is a, this is a live stream from a while ago because clearly DC's hair is much longer. But the vibe and the energy is still there. If you've already know, if you know beforehand, this person's got to go. You're gonna be a certain way towards them. But let's go. Let's go. You know you're not allowed to call me that. Oh, sorry, Dad. Peep the energy. So what are you doing? The same okay, shit I was doing before your ass called Wait, hold up. My views just jumped, like, from... Yeah, yeah, the ain't your people. The ain't your people. Shut up. Okay, what are you doing? Calm down. Oh, shit, shit. So... But my people are your people. Y'all go see her over there. See her. <laughs> so what took you so long to get on live that people want to yeah your shit went up it's because we don't follow each other so I, he probably didn't get a notification that I was on live they don't follow I don't be want to see this shit <laughs> same same okay you always on my shit shut up you're always on mine I'm at the top of your search history so once again let me say this let me preface the comment 
This was a while ago because clearly his hair is much longer, but the energy doesn't change. What? Exactly. So, what do you guys have to ask us? He said he wasn't going to go on. <laughs> I need some pussy. What you talking about? That is a statement. That's not even a question. All right. You need to say something to it. I said I need some pussy. <laughs> okay. What's, okay, you better know. You need to say <laughs> something else. What are you talking about? Um, yes, daddy. I'm tired of that. I need some pussy. Okay, that's that's Miami. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, see what I go through. Right. I just said Miami. Shut up. What are you talking about? Oh, Guys, we're gonna get Miami. I want so well. I don't I'm care about be, Miami. I'm I gonna want go so well. My, wait, what? We ain't talking about no Miami. Talk about some other shit. <laughs> wow. What are you talking about? Like, what, what just talk about, about some other shit. What? So John's in LA and I'm in Atlanta, so that's why he can't get any pussy right now. If anybody wanted to know, thank you. These motherfuckers stupid. So, do you guys have any questions? All I see is crying faces. <laughs> Are we gonna have fun in Miami? I can't hear you. Your phone is on mute. No, that... oh, I'm about to say, they better ask you questions. I'm not answering shit to these nosy okay, bastards. Ask me the questions, I'll answer on behalf of us, of the flies. What? He said, I'll answer on behalf of the flies. Appreciate it, man. Apple five. Appreciate it. Jackie, just got a lead role to y'all. Thanks, baby. Um, Have you guys checked out John's? album <laughs> now here's what i didn't know i was on a uh, voodoo i think last week this dude has a bunch of movies on there i didn't know he he was in go to voodoo and um what movie there was a one movie i was watching with him in it it had him and uh old boy that played dre from powered the big nose nigerian the light-skinned nigerian the big nose dude he's in it and a couple like D-list chicks are in it. I didn't even know he was in these movies already, y'all. It was on Voodoo. It was a bunch of my Voodoo and Tubi. No, no, said it's time for a haircut. I'll be back in town, guys. Y'all, one time I was in California and I was trying to do something nice for DC, and I hit up his barber, and I was like, "Hey, can I prepay you for?" Um, for John to get a haircut. Yeah, Rotimi. Thank you, Arian. Uh, yeah, and he Rotimi. was like, yeah, I mean, I guess. And then the next time John went in to get a haircut, he still paid. And I was like trying to like see if he was surprised <laughs> that he got a free haircut. Rotimi. And I was like, yeah, so how much did your haircut cost? And he was like, I don't know, he said $30. And I was like, really? Huh. That's how much he charged you? <laughs> yeah. All right. Once again, this is a, a, a fairly old live stream, but the energy... The energy. Peep the energy. Peep the energy. Right? Okay. Okay. 
Oh, it is going to be on Netflix? Oh, that's major. Cha-ching. I ain't mad. I mean, just... I mean, I'm mad, but I'm not mad. I mean, that's none, none of my business what, what, you know, people do. But, yo, does anybody remember this story from 2018? 2018. Let's go back in time. Let's go back in time. This is... We're going to continue the morbidity part of the show. Does anybody remember this story from 2018? Please um, raise your children to not be so weak to do dumb dares and stuff and peer pressure. Please raise strong children to not succumb to peer pressure. Please. Please raise strong-minded children that can think for themselves and raise children that have the ability to say no, that have the courage to tell their friends no. Okay, the best thing you can do with your children is to raise them with the confidence and the ability to tell their punk ass friends, no, no. I remember as me as a teen, I'd be in the most seedy house parties and stuff, weed, smoke, whatever. And they were like, yo, you, you want something? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I never got punked or I never got pushed back. Or I never got forced to do anything. You know what I'm saying? No, no. Drink? No. No. No, thank you. I'm good. No, thank you. And then after a while, they, people kind of like, okay, don't offer him none because that's not his thing. Please raise your children with the ability and the confidence to say no. Okay? Now, this story is from 2018. Does anybody remember this? Does anybody remember this? 2018. That's why I don't mess with slug. Yo, we had a, we had a slug on the porch. And she's like, put some salt, uh, put some, put some salt on it. And I'm like, why leave it alone? She's trying to kill everything around here. Okay. This poor soul here. Oh God, he suffered. This guy suffered horribly. He suffered horribly. Australian teenager Sam Ballard grabbed the slimy creature and gulped it down. It was just a silly dare among teenage boys. What could it hurt to eat a small slug? He had no idea that the slug carried a potentially deadly worm that would put him into a coma that lasts more than a year, paralyze his body, and ultimately take his life. In 2010, 19-year-old... Oh, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. Okay, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. This is that? No. This is it? No. Okay, here we go. So we were sitting over there having a bit of red wine appreciation night trying to act as grown-ups. Uh, let's see. And then the conversation came up. Should I eat it? And then off Sam went and bang. That's how it happened. We are about to meet an incredible group of family and friends who've supported Sam Ballard, an extraordinary young man who eight years ago, at the age of 19, ate a slug on a silly dare and had his life changed forever. Please, if you're a parent, I implore you, raise strong children with enough confidence to tell their punk-ass friends no. Like most young men their age, 19-year-old Sam Ballard and his mates felt they were invincible. But one night in 2010 shattered that illusion. We were sitting over here having a bit of a red wine appreciation night, trying to act as grown-ups. And a slug came crawling across here. And then the conversation came up, you know, should I eat it? And uh, off Sam went. Bang. 
That's how it happened. In the following days, strapping, rugby-playing Sam complained of severe pain in his legs. It wasn't MS, which is what my husband had, but they cleared him all from that, and that's when he said, oh, when we were walking him down to the ward, he was in a wheelchair, and he said, I had a slug. Could it be that? And I went, mm, no, no one gets sick from that. But doctors found Sam had been infected with rat lung worm, which can... Rat lung worm. That's what, it was, that's what he was infected with. Rat lung worm. Infected with rat lungworm, which can be carried by slugs. He was scared. So, you know, as a mum, all you want to do is reassure them. As far as I'm concerned, he didn't do anything wrong. It was just a silly thing. But Sam and his loved ones have paid an enormous price for that silly thing. He lapsed into a coma for more than 420 days and became paralysed. When I walked in, he was very, very gaunt and there were cables everywhere. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big shock. To see in such a quick amount of time how differently someone can look, yeah, it was scary. My mate's fighting for his life here. So what sort of care does Sam need now? Oh, aye, where do you start? He can't eat, so he's peg-fed. He has a tracheostomy. He's got a catheter because he can't go to the bathroom on his own. We're at a gym now where he's starting to pull weights and he's got movement. He understands everything, so it's like, OK, Sam, move your arm, do that, but it's the time that it takes to get the messages down. Let's go back again, nice and easy. Katie was forced to give up work to look after Sam full-time. He needs 24-hour care, sometimes with two people, and up until 2016, Katie was his primary carer. With OK, maybe I'm the asshole parent, but I would, I would just go ahead and put my boy out, out of his misery. I would, I would do a bid, put my child out of misery. I'm, I guess I'm, I will be the asshole parent. I will, re, I refuse to let my, to let my kids suffer like this. Sorry. Let's continue. Just 70 hours a week of care provided by the New South Wales government. Then along came the NDIS. The people were amazing. They saw what Sam needed and it was like you are to be his mum you're not to be his carer. It changed his life and it changed my life. I was able to concentrate on well what's the best gym for Sam and things like that. G'day mate how are you? And with treatment Sam's condition has improved enormously. Seeing where he is now and able to move his arms albeit awkwardly or even just grip something that to me is a huge improvement. The little hand gestures, the walking into the room and, and a hand coming out to give you a handshake. It's that kind of stuff. So what sort of things do you do with Sam when you go over and see him, Jimmy? We like to sit down, watch the footy, watch the rugby. I try and keep it matey and fun still and try and do as many as the same things as we used to do. <laughs> he actually makes me laugh because we'll crack a beer sometimes and when Katie goes out of the room, he reaches for it, he gets his lips out and goes... And sometimes we put a little bit of beer on his lips as well. Get in there. A couple more of those at Origin time this year. What do you think? Yeah? Can you still see your mate Sam in there? Yeah, he's in there, 100%. His eyes, his eyes, his eyes just go bang when you walk into the room. You've made his day. In the early days, I apologised to Sam about everything that happened. This is horrible. There's no happy ending for this, but let's continue. That night in this backyard, and he just started bawling his eyes out. So, you know, I know he's there. 
After a year, Sam's NDIS plan was up for a routine review. I've got the same thing again. You are to be his mum. That's what you're here for. You're not here to be his carer. But Katie was in for a big shock. I get a text to say, sign on to Sam's portal. Your new plan has been approved. Sam's core supports went from 471 to 135,000. This equated to about 65 hours a week of care, less than he received before the NDIS came in. It was like, no way, I can't go back there. And, well, hang on, no one's meant to be worse off. You know, that was their ethos. That was exactly what the government said. Yeah. No one will be worse off yeah. under this scheme. It's also part of their policy is what's reasonable and necessary. The NDIS funds reasonable and necessary. Because the government don't want to be paying for it. Come on, man. The, the, the government, come on. The government said, look, we get it. We got it. Come on. You're costing us money. He's never going to contribute to society. He's never going to fully recover. How long do you want us to keep taking care of him for, right? In other, that's in so many words. That's what the government said. How long do we got to keep paying to keep him alive to, to be a non-productive member of society? Necessary supports. Pretty sure keeping someone alive is reasonable and necessary. When Katie followed up, she struggled to get straight answers. I said, well, has the policy changed? You know, what's going on? Did you find out what the policy change was? <laughs> Uh, don't think it's changed. Uh, I did actually speak to the local minister's office about that and they were surprised. They thought that it was still what's reasonable and necessary. So, five and a half months ago, Katie applied for a review of the review. She only received an outcome on the day we filmed with her. Now, Katie, you've just got a message. Yep, it says we've finalised Sam's plan and can confirm it is of similar value. Oh, core supports. Okay. Oh, so what's the upshot of the review of the review? <laughs> if that's what I'm hoping it is, we're back to where we were again. A spokesperson for the National Disability Insurance Agency confirmed Sam's plan had been adjusted back to the original level of funding, blaming its reduction by more than two thirds on an error, not a policy change. Oh, okay, okay, so let's see what happens. So they admit it's an error. Okay, let's go. It is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. I don't, I don't take it lightly. But what value do we put on someone's life? As if they didn't have enough to deal with, throughout his journey, Sam, his family and friends have been attacked by online trolls. Oh, horrible, 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 horrible stuff. Um, Saying what? Well, the boys should be the ones paying for Sam to be looked after. How mm. stupid that a kid does something like that and expects everybody to pay for it. It's tough. It's tough to um, fathom that there's people that can't understand that there's a very sick kid who has lost everything health-wise. His family have lost him. Uh, yeah. And, and, and all the great times they should have had with him. Just because you were being mates and, and doing things together, it's not your fault. Okay. Once again, who do you blame for this? Who, I mean, if we got to put the point, you know, point the finger at somebody, you know, do you say, well, Sam, you should have been, you shouldn't have, who, t who does, who eats slugs on a dare? Like, Australia is one of the most dangerous places like, they have some of the most dangerous creatures in the world. Do you understand? 
Like Australia has things that will kill you <laughs> and then bring you back to life and kill you again. <laughs> Australia, I'm cool. They have some of the, the most pound for pound. They have some of the most dangerous creatures on the planet in that country. And I believe they have, they have more, they have more dangerous animals or creatures in the top 10 list. We'll look that up to confirm. Katie doesn't blame you. Yeah. At all. Uh, yeah, I do know that. It's just, which is comforting. And, and I've, I've spoken with, with Katie about that. And, um, that's the least of my worries. I only care about Sam and his family and what we do in this situation, what we're doing in the future. My feelings are irrelevant, to be honest. There'll be lots of young people watching this. Uh -huh. Young boys in particular. And when there's drinking games, a bit of larrikinism, uh -oh, would what would your message be to them? Just take care of your mates. And before you jump off a roof into a, a pool or if you're daring your mate to eat something stupid, just think about it because it can have the worst consequences. Not so he was the one that dared him to eat the slug. The big, the big Chris Hemsworth looking ass, <laughs> right? Viking light. Young, young Chris Hemsworth looking ass dude. This is the one that dared Sam to eat the slug. Pay attention. Not only on your mate, their family, and the rest of your friends, the rest of the rest of your life. Just take care of each other. As a parent of two eight-year-olds, I just want to thank them so much for that, for the mm. lesson that they've just taught my children who are watching and everyone else's kids who are watching. What beautiful men. It's an important message, yeah. isn't it? And that was why yeah. they wanted to talk to us, to, to make sure that you get the message out there. You think you're bulletproof, particularly when you're oh, about yeah. 19 and male. There's so many things that, you know, yeah. you think, have a dare, prove you're a man. Um, and they can go horribly wrong. But um, Katie is an absolute angel and a shout out to all the carers out there around Shit the country yeah. who yeah, do incredible me. unsung work out of love and, and care for those that uh, they're surrounded. I love their accents. Care. Take care of your mate. Let me go through these comments. Let me go through these comments. Let me go through these comments. <laughs> A dare is to moon someone, not even a slug. <laughs> yeah, slug did that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, I eat crickets with salt and chili pepper like popcorn. I'm in Asia. They are good as hell. Don't judge me. We will never judge you, Martina. You can do no wrong over here. I salted a slug. It was, yeah, man, y'all, y'all wrong for that, man. Leave slugs alone. They have a purpose in the garden of life. God's purpose. I ate snails in France with garlic and butter. They are good. My man Mojo's in the building. I poured salt on slugs because they would eat my sunflowers. You guys are just mean. My God, people need help. Mean people. Mean people. I would expect this from Joe Rogan. That's fine. That, them Aussie slugs hit different, right? <laughs> yeah, don't do the double dog dares. Yeah, and yeah, everything will kill you in, in Australia, man. Like, 
that's not I, I have no desire to go visit i mean the uh the amphitheater that they, they have is a beautiful beautiful structure but it ain't that serious you know Shit, he should have ate the coach <laughs> wait see over did you see yes i yeah the other day bro <laughs> please raise strong kids to say no what's a slug what it's it's a it's a snail with no shell, basically. Yeah, it's a snail with no shell. You know, moved to Canada, slugged around and found out. Indeed, I think the boy died though. We're the only country, or the only country with effed up insurance carriers. I I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh oh, dog me. Here you go with this one. He had ventriloquist. Do oh my gosh, you guys are killing me right now. Oh no, y'all so mean. Living Taiwan said people couldn't leave the pets outside because yeah, there's no stray dogs, right? They don't see you don't see too many stray stray animals, right? What's his midichlorian? You know, y'all going to hell. Y'all going to hell. Hell is where y'all going. We're the life insurance company years ago. And this man died saving a dog in which dog survived and denied his claim. Good Lord. Okay. Yeah, they have some of the most, geez, man. Like, listen, Australia will kill you 10, 10 ways to Sunday. Kangaroos fight in the streets, spiders flying in the air, bats invading towns, deadly jellyfish. Well, you know what? Nature is starting to fight back. Because we got a bunch of killer uh, orcas out here taking out ships. But we'll get to that in a minute, too. We'll get to that in a minute, too. So, yeah, Steve Irwin died. That's a, that was a horrible way for him to die. So, let me see. Anthony down the slug. He, yeah, this is... Come on, man. Like, what are we doing here? Let me get this... Get him a body here. So, rat, worm, rat lungworm disease... Uh, the parasite lodges in the lungs of rats... And is later excreted in poop. Along comes a slug, snail, freshwater crab, shrimp, prawn, or frog. Y'all pay attention because y'all, you black folk, y'all love y'all some shrimp. Y'all damn sure love y'all some crab, crab legs, and, and y'all like to do the crab boils. Y'all pay attention. So along comes a slug, snail, freshwater crab, shrimp, prawn, or frog. And either eats the rat dung or the parasite works its way into the creature, infecting it. Fish do not spread the parasite. Humans can be infected if they eat the raw or undercooked contaminated animals or vegetables carrying unseen snails or slugs that have not been thoroughly washed. Unlike in rats, the worm's life cycle is not completed in a human. So instead of passing through the digestive tract, the worm larvae can get lost or it will go to the brain. This is why the Muslims tell you not to eat pork, right? The trichinosis worm likes to go to you all in your body into the brain, right? Um, they can, it will go to the brain and it'll stay there. The parasite is not passed from human to human. When it gets to the brain, you can have uh, encephalic meningitis, okay, meningitis, basically, the brain version of it, which is an inflammation of the membrane surrounding the brain and the spinal cord. Symptoms can include headaches, nausea, vomiting, fever, and a stiff neck. 
Let's check it out. Let's check it out. What is angiostrongyliasis or rat lungworm disease? Rat lungworm disease is caused by a parasitic worm called Angiostrongylus cantonensis. It's called rat lungworm disease because the worm lives in the lungs of rats. An infected rat coughs up worms from the lungs into the throat where they are then swallowed by the rat. The worms are now in the rat's digestive system and eventually end up in the rat's poop. Then, one, a slug or snail eats the rat's poop and becomes infected. Or, two, the worms in the rat's poop penetrate a slug or snail's body. When a rat eats an infected slug or snail, the cycle begins again. Mm -mm. Most of the known cases of rat lungworm disease have been in parts of Asia and the Pacific Islands, but some have been in parts of the Caribbean, Africa, and the United States. Uh -oh. So how do people get it? People get rat lungworm disease when they eat raw or undercooked slugs or snails that have worms in them. Slugs and snails may be eaten accidentally if they're on fruits or vegetables that haven't been thoroughly washed. Or, freshwater crabs, shrimp, prawns, or frogs may eat slugs or snails, become infected with worms, and then infect people if they're eaten undercooked or raw. Beverages may be contaminated with worms if they aren't stored in sealed containers to keep slugs or snails out. Rat lungworm disease is preventable. Protect yourself and others from rat lungworm disease. Wash all your fruits and vegetables. Rinse them under running water before eating or cooking. Check carefully for slugs and snails. Cook food thoroughly. Cook prawns, frogs, snails, and crabs by boiling for three to five minutes or heating to 165 degrees Fahrenheit for at least 15 seconds. Cover tanks and containers. Cover and protect your catchment tank or other water source. Always cover your beverage to prevent slugs and snails from crawling in. Control slugs and snails. Use gloves to remove slugs and snails from around your home. Control rats. Use bait and traps to catch rats. Remove dead rats. Keep your property clean to keep rats away. To learn more about rat lungworm disease, visit cdc.gov. Okay. Jeez. All right. Uh, most cases of rat lungworm disease are typically mild, but in some cases like Sam's, the disease can cause catastrophic damage. Um, so he was in a coma for about a year and some change, 24 hours, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so he ended up dying. He ended up dying. Last week, Sam died. Um, let's see what the blog post wrote. What does it say? I want to stream it, right? I sign in for this, really? That's what we're not going to do. Okay. So he died, right? He died and let that be a lesson to y'all. Don't do stupid stuff. I mean, that's what he looked, that's what he used to look like. That's what he ended up looking like. Jeezy Pete's man. All right. Okay. Let's do this. Let's continue the morbidity part of our show. Um, Australia's yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. God damn it. Most dangerous animals. Yeah, there we go. Here we go. Okay. Australia's most dead or uh, deadliest animals. The blue ringed octopus. 
Every year, several humans are bitten, and although the bites are usually pain, you know what? Let's just do a YouTube thing. Let's just be lazy and and go to YouTube, shall we? Let's just be lazy and go to YouTube, cause we all like visuals. Deadly animals. There we go. 10, 14 of the deadliest animals in Australia. Which one do I want? Which one do I want? Mm. Okay, let's do this one. Australia. Australia is the country with the most voracious and venomous animals. Come and meet them. Number one, bull shark. This list couldn't miss the bull shark, which is considered to be much more dangerous than the white shark itself. <laughs> Don't laugh, Bruce, because it's true. Bull sharks live in fresh or salt water, and nothing prevents them from blending themselves in the waters of rivers, lakes, and even canals, near where human beings inhabit, and what makes them protagonists of a number of attacks higher than any other shark attack species. In Australia, it's known that the Brisbane River is infested with bull sharks, so I recommend you not wow. to get into the water since younger sharks and pregnant adult females usually inhabit in the rivers. These come to spawn in fresh water and are especially dangerous given that they tend to have a greater need for food. So, you know, if you go to Australia, be very careful where you bathe because even far from the sea, you won't be safe from a lethal shark. Number two, kangaroo. Believe it or not, these cute little animals are considered one of Australia's most dangerous animals since they're responsible for almost 5% of deaths due to car accidents in that country. In Australia, there are two kangaroos for each person, and wow. these ones usually cross the roads at full speed, so most of them are run over and left on the road. These unexpected events not only have fatal consequences for animals, but also, unfortunately, for humans. Yeah, I say it. Whoa, whoa, shit, shit. Oh. Especially when the roadkill belongs to a large species, such as the red kangaroo. The other species involved are the western grey kangaroo, the eastern grey kangaroo, and the common wallaroo. The most serious accidents occur when the drivers turn unexpectedly to avoid hitting a kangaroo and, at the end, they crash into something else, whether it's a tree or another vehicle that comes in the opposite direction. However, the motorcyclists are the ones who bear the brunt of the accidents, as they represent half of the deaths caused by a kangaroo bursting in on the road. Wow. This confirms it's not necessary to be a predator to be labeled as a danger, although there are always stories about people having been directly attacked by these marsupials. Number 3. Stonefish Within the poisonous cast of Australian fauna, we couldn't leave out the most venomous fish in the world. That's also very difficult to promptly identify due to its ability to look similar to a rock or a coral. The stonefish has 13 fish bones in its dorsal fin. They are so strong, they can pierce the sole of a shoe. They're covered by a thick layer of skin, and they straighten it when they detect a nearby danger. Each of these fish bones has two venomous glands at the base. When a predator or human being is stabbed by a fish bone, these glands release a venom through ducts as if they were a syringe. Those who have been victims of this sting say that the pain is unbearable, and many of them have cried out for cutting the stung limb off. In addition to the pain, the other symptoms are swelling of the affected area, paralysis, death of muscle tissue, and heart failure. Even if there is an antidote, you should be afraid of a pain as desperate as that. Number 4. Saltwater Crocodile Australia is Captain Cook's hell for being full of crocodiles. In this country, countless attacks occur every year, of which about two incidents usually have lethal consequences. The saltwater crocodile is the deadliest of all. Despite what its name says, this animal also lives in the freshwater of the Australian rivers and can spend up to 24 long hours submerged in the murky waters without surfacing. It's said that for every crocodile you see, there are another 10 hidden. 
Most of the attacks occur when unsuspecting people bathe in the rivers. Unfortunately, most of their victims are children, since it's easier to bite them, drag them to the bottom, and tear them apart. Unlike other predators, saltwater crocodiles do eat human meat, and after the attacks, many crocodiles have been killed by the victims' families, eager to find the bodies of their loved ones and give them a proper burial. Wow. If you want to put your life at risk, you can visit Cahelis Crossing, a non-asphalted track that crosses the East Alligator River in the Northern Territory. In this place, you can see how the crocodiles walk like nothing in front of your car. Mm. Moreover, in six kilometers of this stretch of the river, 120 crocodiles have been counted. Number five, blue-ringed octopus. Believe it or not, this little octopus has enough venom to kill 26 adult humans. In Australia, at least two terrifying deaths have been reported because of their bites, and many other victims have been at the point of death. If the octopus feels like it's in danger, it'll light up its blue rings as a sign of warning, and if the danger persists, it'll proceed to bite. Many people don't realize that they have been attacked, as their bite is small and usually painless. In fact, they just realize the danger involved when they begin to feel the first symptoms of envenomation. The effects of the venom include nausea, blindness, and heart failure, and also paralysis of the diaphragm muscles, which will lead to death by suffocation. However, the victim can be saved if it is connected to an artificial respiration machine. Well, now you know more about this octopus. Don't risk your life, just like these tourists did. <laughs> Number 6. Sea Wasp it's considered the most venomous in the world. The sea wasp has 60 10 feet long tentacles covered with urtricant cells that inoculate the venom inside the victim's body. The venom causes extreme pain, necrosis, or tissue death, and heart failure, which causes death. Okay, so basically stay out of the waters in Australia. Okay. I'm dying. Although there's no antidote yet, scientists have tried a new compound in rodents and have managed to stop the pain and the necrosis, which constitutes a real hope. And now, another animal competing for the title of the most venomous one in the world. And yes, it also lives in Australia. Number 7. Geographer Cone The geographer cone uses its proboscis as a harpoon to inject venom into its victims. This animal is also known as the cigarette snail, since it's said that it kills a human being in 5 minutes, wow. the time it would take to smoke a cigarette. That's so poetic. People who have been bitten by this dangerous animal only feel a pain similar to the sting of a bee at the beginning, but the symptoms and death don't take long to come. Worst of all, there's no antidote, so the sole hope of the victims is that doctors keep them alive in the midst of atrocious sufferings until their body eliminates the venom by itself. What? Number 8. Sydney Funnel Web Spider The Sydney Funnel Web Spider is the most venomous spider in the world. As its name implies, it lives in the city of Sydney and the surrounding areas. That's why it's common that they meet repeatedly with human beings who are surprised to find them in their own house. The worst of it is its challenging personality. If you threat or provoke it, the Funnel Web Spider will rear up on its hind legs and display its face. The length of its body measures between 0.4 to 2 inches, and its bite is so strong that it can pierce the fingernails and go so deep oh. that sometimes it's difficult to separate it from its victim oh. once it's bitten. Oh no. Let him go! Its fangs inoculate a substance called atraxatoxin that reaches the circulatory system in a few minutes and causes sweating, lacrimation, muscle spasms, and soon after, heart and respiratory failure, which can only mean death. Number 9. Inland Taipan the Inland Taipan is the most venomous snake in the world. It's estimated that a single bite has the capacity to kill more than 100 people and 253,000 mice. Be careful, Mickey Mouse. Death comes for you. Fortunately, it's considered a peaceful snake that lives in very remote areas. Not like its sister, the Coastal Taipan, who lives in northern Australia and is known for being quarrelsome. Despite this, when a human runs into the Inland Taipan, it'll raise its forebody in a tight, low S-shaped curve. So be careful. If the threat persists, it'll attack you without mercy. Mm. 
In addition, the powerful venom of the Inland Taipan causes respiratory paralysis, terrible internal bleeding, stroke, and death of muscle tissue. All of those symptoms at the same time. In 2013, a man who worked with snakes was bitten while handling a Taipan, and a few minutes later, he was convulsing terribly. Fortunately, he was saved from death by being taken to a hospital on time. Number 10. Dingo From time to time, dingo attacks show up on the Australian news headlines. These wild dogs are usually a real problem for Australians that have children, since this dog ventures into the interior of the country in order to bite children. Most of the attacks have taken place on Fraser Island. Fortunately, not all of its victims have died. For example, the 14-month-old baby who was attacked by a pack that broke into his parents' mobile home. As the story goes, when the father came to the rescue, a dingo had the baby's head between its jaws. Ooh, what a horror. Although he ended up with a fractured skull, the baby was saved from dying. Unfortunately, the same thing didn't happen to the baby girl who was kidnapped by a dingo in 1980 from a camp at Ayers Rock. The baby's parents reported the fact, but Australian justice did not believe them and sentenced them until the baby's clothing was found near a dingo lair. They had devoured her. Now you know, in Australia, everything kills- Yeah, stay the, stay the hell out of Australia. Good grief. Good lord, people live there? People live there? Why? I mean, I get it sending the criminals there, but jeez. Holy cow. Okay. The morbid, the morbidity show continues. The morbidity show continues. Escape from Australia. Hell yeah. What? Give it back to the criminals that you used to put them there. Cheesy Pete's. Okay. All right, where do I go first? Where do I go next? Um, let's do that. No. Let's do... Da, 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 da. To Reddit. Okay, that. And then there's this. Oh my God, I got so many sad stories of death. It's unreal. What is this? Okay, that was the orcas. All right, so let's talk about horsies. Everybody loves a horse. Every little girl wanted a, her dad to buy her a horse. But, yo, Churchill Downs is suspended horse racing. If you're into horse racing, shit is crazy out here. Shit is crazy. These horse deaths is at 21, I believe, in the last couple of months, which is not normal. 12, I'm sorry, 12 horses have died. <laughs> We've got some breaking news tonight out of Kentucky, where the country's most famous horse racing track is suspending races for now to examine its safety practices after the deaths of a dozen horses in the last month. This suspension at Churchill Down will start Churchill Downs rather starts Wednesday. It's going to go through at least July 3rd. So for roughly a month. Remember, this is a track that hosts the Kentucky Derby. But the company that oversees the track says no single factor has been identified for why all those horses died. In a statement, the CEO of Churchill Downs Incorporated says what happened at the track is deeply upsetting and absolutely unacceptable. You see the statement there saying they need more time to conduct a top to bottom review of safety protocols. Jesse Kirsch is joining us now. And Jesse, this is after obviously those headline making horse deaths that we had talked about um, back during the Derby as we are now just getting into the next sort of. Um, triple crown race coming up. What are we hearing from the Kentucky Horse Racing Association? Talk us through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I want to 
put this in context, Please. Hallie. We saw seven horse deaths tied to Churchill Downs before the Kentucky Derby. In fact, two of those deaths wow. were tied to injuries during pre-Derby races at Churchill Downs on the day of the Kentucky Derby. And both of those cases, we're told, led to euthanizations. And in the week since, we've seen five more deaths. So that's now a total of 12 horse deaths tied to Churchill Downs within roughly a month or so. So, like, there's this whole CD underground with horse racing Like I didn't know about. I, I watched the documentary a few years ago, and it's really some violent underworld stuff when it comes to horse um, racing, horse maintenance. Some of the veter veterinarians are in on it. Um, it's huge business, and they treat these animals. Oh, and oh, it's it's heartbreaking. It's it's horrible how they do horses, especially after, after they they're done with their racing career. If they didn't have a a, a, a really good career, you know, the the good ones go out to stud. The rest of them get shipped around across country, end up in glue factories or just beaten and abused and shit. They be doing these horses bad, yo, bad. And again, obviously all around the biggest day for that track and arguably for all of horse racing with the Kentucky Derby. Then we have the second leg of the Triple Crown, the Preakness Stakes. And this is now just days before the third leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes. So this is while horse racing has some of the most intense scrutiny in any year. And now there are obviously even more questions. So Churchill Downs is still moving forward with races this weekend, we're told. So they were suspending races after this upcoming weekend. And they were told that all of the races that were scheduled for the remainder of the time uh, in the weeks ahead at Churchill Downs, those are all being now moved to a location roughly two hours away. That's what we're being told by Churchill Downs. The Kentucky uh, regulators who are involved with this, as well as federal authorities uh, that are a, a, an organization that has federal backing, I should say, uh, those groups are continuing, Renault, to investigate the events that have unfolded at Churchill Downs and something that the uh, organization from Kentucky, the Kentucky's, uh, the state uh, regulators, the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, something that they've shared in a statement. Let me do something real quick. Let me deviate real quick. I want to see who Sire Rich strike. I'm a, I'm a Secretariat fan. I'm a fan of Secretariat, but who sired or who's parents parents uh parents where bloodline did he come from keen ice okay so a rich strike four-year-old colt sired by keen ice uh he was trained by eric reed raised for richard dawson bred in kentucky okay so who does keen ice come from Okay, so let's look up Keen Ice's parents. Keen Ice. Yeah, pedigree, there we go. Okay, wait, 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 smart strike, Keen, da, 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 da. Keen, deputy minister, okay, wait, I'm trying to, all right, just bear with me, y'all, I'm trying to. I'm looking for Um, okay, I'm, I don't see Keen Ice. Maybe I, Vice Regent, 1967. I've heard of Vice Regent. Um, I don't see Keen Ice. Okay, let's go back. 
Keen Ice. This is the one of the parents of Rich Strike. Keen Ice comes from Curlin and Metamac. Okay, so Curlin Metamac. Curlin Metamac. So let's look. Okay, Curlin and Metamac. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So Curlin and Metamac were the two progenitors. And from 2004, 2007, that gave us Smart Strike, Sheriff's Deputy, Awesome Again, Wicasset. And they gave us Tara Roma, Chris, Primal Force, Deputy Minister, Barbarica, Deputy Minister, Classy and Smart, Mr. Prospector. Then they gave us Raisin Native, Gold Digger, Smartin, No Class, Vice Regent, Mint Copy, Base Motel, Base Motel. I love that name. War Exchange, Vice Regent, Vice Regent Mint Copy, Blushing Groom, Prime Prospect, Roberto, Sharp Queen, Lippert, and Sheik Shrine. Oh, Sheik Shirin. Okay. And then they gave us all of these here. Let me do this. Let's see who all Secretariat has fathered or side. Secretariat. And I didn't know he had a bigger heart. Like his heart was twice the size of a normal horse. So it's kind of almost like an unfair advantage that he had, but called him Big Red for a reason. Secretariat came from old ruler something royal. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Secretariat won 1.3 million career earnings. 16 wins, three places out of 21 starts. Okay, let me see. Secretariat's, yeah, that's right. Man of War, that's who came out of his, out of his, uh, out of his branch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Seattle Slough, Cigar, Citation. So, yeah, I know about a firm, Seattle Slough, Citation. Okay, Man of War and Secretariat. This man took it at two. Okay, okay. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, never mind. All right, all right. Okay, let's get back to it. My bad. I just wanted to see. I was just curious. Is that they corroborated that there has been no piece of evidence that is showing a pattern so far amongst all these deaths. So at this point, it looks like a strange set of circumstances, uh, a, a strange coincidence at this point. But the investigations at the state and we know the federal level are ongoing around the incidents that have unfolded there. Now, obviously, this major headline news, Hallie, coming out that they are going to put a pause on the horse racing at Churchill Downs, even though the racetrack has said that there have been tests conducted there and there has been nothing to indicate a pattern amongst these deaths so far. You talked about the scrutiny, the intense scrutiny right now, given everything you've just laid out on the horse racing sort of industry writ large here. Can you pull on that thread a little more? Because it does seem like that spotlight has intensified. Yeah, and obviously uh, horse racing is something that has been scrutinized for a long time. There have been horse racing deaths before. This is not something that is new, but this, this frequency is not something that is a common occurrence, let alone at one track, let alone tied to a time where 
the entire sport is arguably going to have its eyes on that track. And so this set of circumstances uh, is at minimum strange. And that's what is drawing, obviously, a lot of attention around this. And on top of that, there is a new federal uh, organization, organization that has support from uh, regulators or I should say from Congress at a federal level. It's called HISA. This group is meant to be uh, providing that much more attention on the care for horse racing. And they actually have been ramping up some of those efforts in recent weeks. And so it's interesting timing that while nothing, nothing's going to change, you know, do you not, there's too much money. Nothing will change, unfortunately, with, with the treatment of how of, of horses or equines. What's what do you say, Rose? Buzz Kashi. What is that? Buzz Kashi. Oh, the horse or the sport? Oh, is this what they use the children to ride the goats or the, uh, the, the, uh, nope. Oh, this is other type of horse racing. Next up on Fun Sport Friday, we got Buzkashi, Central shit. Asian game, very popular. You play with a dead goat carcass. They say it can weigh up to 99 pounds. If you're wondering if that was a drone flying in the air, it was. If you're wondering if there have drones flying, but they're still using dead goats as the ball, they are. They very much are. You go on horseback. You take the goat and you try to put it in this giant hole. Wow. This is a very formal game. There's informal games where there's no boundaries. Uh-oh, let's just, going to need to get that one in the hole. Oh, my God. Oh. I, I'm dead. I just died, and we what? didn't score. What a bummer. Here we go. Nice and easy. Red person puts it in the hole. Opponent falls in the hole with the goat car, because that's a shitty way to lose. Number five is going to come up here and get a good block. Let number six take the goat, put it in the hole, score a goal. They're excited. What a sport, huh? What, what a wild sport. They said it originated because tribes would go steal other tribes' goats and then ride away, and then they would get chased, like give us our goat back, and they're like, yo, that's pretty fun, all this goat stealing we do. Let's turn it into a game. This dude's got an open lane. He's got to turn this guy. Ooh, ooh. Nice little move. Turns that guy around. Gets the goat what? right in that giant hole. Goes for a fun ride himself. Fist pump. I love how universal the fist pump oh, is. Okay, let's pick no. up this goat. Oh, shit. Now we're just trampling a goat. It seems kind of fucked up, but here we go. Oh, did I mention the goat's headless? They cut the goat's head and feet off. What? Not sure how that makes the gameplay any different, but they do it. Bam. One point for that team. All right, this guy on the left here, he's got nice and easy, nice and easy. Just put this in. No, wait. I think I'll just oh. die instead. Instead of scoring. <laughs> Goat in, oh. horse backs out. Not interested. All right, number four in blue. Nice, easy target. Bummer, dude. Terrible goat flow. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. This guy's getting Uh-oh. his red pollard on, Uh-oh. getting dragged around. That's pretty scary. Oh, I see you're interested in picking that up. You interested in dying? Boom. Crushed. Next up. Nice and easy. In the hole. Buzkashi. What a sport. Hell no. What the hell you be watching, sis? What the hell you be watching? What is it? We used to watch it all the time. Oh no, 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 no! What what do we what are we doing here? What are we doing? Let's get to the. Remember the movie Orca? All my old heads, Nick. I know you remember. Um, Mojo, I know you remember. Who was the uh, the British guy? Richard, right? He was a he's a famous actor. And like, was he in like? It was a Orca movie. What year was this? I remember watching this thing, 1977. Richard Harris, yes. And he had Will Sampson, right? The Indian tracker. And Richard killed the Orca's mate. And that Orca followed that man and his boat some ungodly distance and killed everybody around him. The woman survived, right? 
killed the entire crew one by one. And at the very end, um, he, he got Captain Nolan on the iceberg and he, he comes up on the iceberg and tilts it. And <laughs> the captain slides into his mouth and he just shakes him and throws him up on the... <laughs> that movie was crazy, <laughs> And then at the end of the movie, it shows the orca's eye. And then the music starts playing and the credits start rolling. Holy cow, you know what? Let's take a look. All my old heads remember this movie. All my old heads remember the, the Orca movie. Some of y'all weren't born. Some of y'all weren't born. It's okay. It's okay. They didn't give the whole ending because the ending then it goes it cuts back to the orcas. It, it look at it looks at his eye and his body's floating and this crazy sad music comes on a credits roll. I was just like, holy cow! All right, yeah. People say you know the uh, the, the gray sharks fin. Listen, you don't want to see a black fin. You see a black orca fin, it is lights out, man. It's fucking lights out. Let's get to why these uh, orcas are doing what they do. Nature is tired of y'all shit. All right, scientists are scratching their heads as to why orcas are attacking and sinking boats off the coast of southern Spain. Uh, this video showing a, a killer whale slamming into a sailboat, damaging the rudder and tearing a hole in the bottom. Jeez. Spanish authorities towed the ship back to port. 
Orcas have been sinking three or have, have sunk three uh, boats earlier this year, and there have been other attacks as well. Spanish authorities are warning sailors to immediately leave the area if they see any strange behavior. I want to bring in now killer whale researcher Dr. Deborah Giles uh, for more uh, perspective on this. And people don't call you doctor, but instead Giles. So Giles, good to see you. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. Wonderful. So there are a lot of theories out there um, that in one case, a female orca was traumatized by a, a boat collision and began, you know, taking it out on other ships and then fellow orcas kind of learned how to follow suit on that. Another theory is that, you know, this simply is a game that juvenile orcas are playing for fun. So what do you think is going on? Uh, I tend to be uh, more in the camp of the second uh, second possibility there where the whales um, have picked up this behavior they do learn from each other. They are incredibly social animals. They're smart and um, can pick up behaviors uh, quickly. Um, I, I'm in that camp of play as, a, uh, as opposed to, say, an aggressive thing, because um, I believe, uh, given you know what we know about killer whales in general, if they were really trying to take a boat down, um, they, they would be hitting it harder. They would be hitting it, in a, I think, in a more um, uh, concerted effort. There seems to be a lot of interest in the... Remember the orca Tilicum that was in SeaWorld? Tillicum had killed two of his trainers and there was a huge documentary about it. Um, he was a captain captivity. Matter of fact, he was kept in captivity so long. His fin kind of folded over to the side, curled, it curled over and, uh, he killed two of his trainers playing. Right. But you know, let's go. The rudder in the underside of the boat that the whales are, are focusing on. Um, and the other thing that really makes me feel, um, uh, that, that it's more of a plaything with the boat. Um, is, is that when the boats have, have become completely disabled uh, by sinking, something like that, then people are transferred to a smaller boats. Um, the whales leave. They don't continue their um, their interaction with the second vessel. Oh, and so um, I do, do think that it's it's more of a play thing as opposed to an aggressive thing. Right. So maybe they really don't want to interact with humans, but these boats look fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from below the surface. I mean, that sounds like what you're you're saying here, because, you know, just as you mentioned, I mean, these are very powerful animals. I mean, they they are known to be very aggressive and stealth like right when hunting. And so uh, perhaps this unusual activity has something to do with maybe um, the fact that there are a whole lot more of these uh, vessels uh, that are in the waterways where they happen to be uh, swimming, traversing, and then you get them together. And um, while they think yeah, it's Blackfish, fun, it's it. traumatizing uh, for, for the boaters, the vessels, those people on Absolutely. the vessels. Absolutely. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be on a boat uh, and be uh, ha have that interaction kind of. And, and it seems like for some folks, it, it's over the course of several hours. It would be mm. quite scary. Um, uh, but again, I, I think that the, given what we know about killer whales in other parts of the world, this part of the world in particular, um, you know, we've, we've just not seen that kind of aggression, um, even when the whales are, have been targeted in some cases by being. Wait, did you see the footage of the orcas playing with the boat? They were chasing the boat, like playfully chasing. Holy cow. That shit was scary. Orcas. Shit. Chasing boat. That shit was creepy as hell. Which one was it? It just came out. I'd literally seen it. This is the one, right? No, that's not it. Oh, it's an it's an old video. Okay. So this is the old video. Underwater speech was oof. Oof. Bruh, bruh, bruh.
bruh, what do we, oh no, that is death. <laughs> that, is, that is an underwater death. You ain't, no, that's crazy. Wait, come on. All right, let me see this one. This is the one I've seen. An incredible moment was captured on video shocking two fishermen Bruh. off the coast of San Diego. They saw animals in the distance, but until they got up close, the guys didn't realize it was actually killer whales chasing their boat, seen in this video by Viral Hog. Right under us, still. Right there. And if this thing wanted to hawk you down. They write that there was a pod of 30 orcas swimming and following their boat, and they were jumping in the boat's wake, some even getting a little too close for comfort. Holy shit. There was even stunning video of the whales under the water swimming alongside their boat. Listen, this that's who you send after a, a great white, okay? Damn jaws. You need to be worried about these mofos, right? That's who you send to go deal with the great white. Shot at over decades. Um, in, you know, in some cases during the capture era, whales were captured. There's, you know, one famous uh, incident where scientists, uh, in order to, to document that we could actually tell these whales year after year um, as individuals, they, they took a pocket knife. One of them took a pocket knife and um, carved out two triangles in the trailing edge of the dorsal fin. Um, also, the southern resident fish eating killer whales back during the capture era every single one of them was rounded up multiple times and these whales saw their family members being taken right out of the out of the wild and um put into you know taken away and yet all of those incidents never has led to any of the whales in this region um quote attacking boats mm -hmm. and so and it just kind of speaks to the to the playful nature the, the, the they have a curiosity streak um and they they do learn from each other and they do adopt behaviors that spread through the population seemingly popping up out of nowhere and often disappearing out of nowhere uh, just as quickly. Oh, but those earlier scenarios, that's so sad to hear that. So, you know, while, while the orcas in this region are, you know, are considered endangered, and now that people feel like they've spotted them or there has been this record number of interaction between the orcas and vessels this year, uh, a, a record number, are you concerned now about um, their safety, given that people, you know, not only are they curious, they don't really understand, or perhaps are misinterpreting the intent of these orcas? I do. You know, I worry about the people's safety and I worry about the whale safety mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I think that there are some uh, some measures that can be taken to ho hopefully limit these encounters, possibly having vessels, which isn't necessarily the thing that uh, sailors want to do out there, but going in more of a, a, a groups uh, a groups of boats traveling, if they're trying to get from point A to point B, that might be an option. Uh, possibly having motorized vessel escorts, again, not really the... Um, romantic, quiet sail trip that some people might uh, might be after. Um, but I, I do believe uh, that it's it's important to 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 remember um, that we're in their world. we're we're in the marine realm. Um, they mm -hmm. were here long before vessels were flying the waters um, as a species they were. Um, and so giving them the respect that that they deserve and and giving them the space whenever possible, um, if an encounter starts to occur, it seems like that one of the things that people can do is is stop. Um, that hasn't been effective for all cases, as I understand, but um, but that, that it does seem to be the forward motion uh, and water moving over the keel that the whales are particularly interested in. Mm. And they may just be drafting in that area where the, you know, the water is being sucked along as the vessel is moving forward. And so that's one thing people can do. Um, you know, one group I did see banged on the hull of the boat um, to, to maybe drive them away. Things like that might, might, uh, okay, so might, might help. She says they plan. 
Now, other reports would, would disagree. Fears are growing on Spain and Portugal's Atlantic coast. More than 300 incidents have been recorded in the last two years. Sailors say that the Spanish Coast Guard is having to launch rescue operations on a daily basis for people whose boats have been damaged by orcas. A population of orcas off the coast of Spain are out for blood. I'm just kidding, they're probably not, but they might be. Now this is according to a pretty interesting story involving orcas that have now sunk three separate boats off the coast of Spain. And it appears that the adult orca is training the young orcas to do it. Mm -hmm. It's such an incredible story about nature, about the intersection of humans, humanity, and killer whales. Um, so let's talk about what's really going on here. So over the past few years, sailors um, in the Strait of Gib Gibraltar um, have had more and more interactions with these orcas. And the interactions have not been so great. Um, and the potential reason behind the encounters suggests that the whales might be out for vengeance over what could have been a traumatic incident involving an orca and a boat. But first, some details. So reports of aggressive encounters with orcas off the Iberian coast began in May of 2020 and are becoming more frequent according to a study published in June of 2022. Assaults seem to be mainly directed at sailing boats and follow a clear pattern with orcas approaching from the stern to strike the rudder, then losing interest once they have successfully stopped the boat. Guys, okay, let's just pause and appreciate how incredible that is for a moment. 100%. Right, as soon as they stop the rudder, they're like, we're good, and they go away. Yeah, by the way, think about how much more decent they are than us. Because one of the theories is that the original orca got struck by a boat. The other theory is that she got trapped in a fishing net. An right? illegal fishing operation. An illegal fishing operation. Yeah. Imagine the fear in her heart as she's struggling to get out of there. Oh and God. she might have gotten out of there by hitting the rudder, okay? Mm. And that way the boat is stuck. Okay, let's look up a killer whale versus a great white, yeah. Orca hunt seven gill sharks. Oh. When it comes to ruling the sea, bigger isn't always better. Surprisingly, some of the largest ocean creatures aren't dangerous at all. The blue whale is the largest animal on the planet, weighing as much as 33 elephants, and all it eats is krill. It's like eating a one centimeter piece of pizza. And the whale shark, despite its menacing name and 40 foot length, only eats plankton and small fish. So, what does it really take to be at the top of the ocean's food chain? Specialized hunting skills a ferocious appetite, and few, if any, natural predators. Oh, and sharp teeth don't hurt either. Okay. When you think of the top ocean predators, you probably think of sharks. That's wrong. The true ruler of the sea is the killer whale. Surprisingly, they're not whales, they're dolphins. It's hard to believe that a cute animal like a dolphin is ruling the ocean, right? Anyway, we're going to explain this in the next minutes of the video. I mean, hell, regular dolphins, you know, he whooping sharks' asses for play. I mean, they punch him in the gill. They punch him in the gills with the noses. They punch him in the gill with the noses. Oh Dolphins are sadistic. Killer whales are apex predators, which means they have no natural predators. They hunt in packs, much like wolves, which are also at the top of their food chain. Most often come across resident killer whales, which feed predominantly on salmon. But we occasionally spot transient orcas, which eat everything from fish to seals to sharks and even other whales. Gluttonous thing. If you have any doubt about the killer whale's apex status, consider this. Wildlife watchers off the coast of California witnessed an orca attacking a great white shark. Of course, the orca won, no contest. Interactions between the two typically do not end well for the shark. 
1997, the first recorded interaction between a great white and orca was documented. Wow. Two orcas killed a great white shark and ate its liver. Removing the liver and leaving the rest of the body is quite consistent behavior for orcas. In 2017, five great whites washed ashore in South Africa with similar signs. The livers had been removed with incredible precision, and orcas are believed the most likely culprit. Oh, it's absolutely terrifying. Orcas are highly intelligent animals Hello. and work in groups when they hunt. Their very presence, even when brief, can have a huge impact so on the- basically they're sea wolves. Yeah, they're, they're the wolves of the sea. They hunt in packs, right? Okay. Surrounding ecosystem. When the great white sharks flee and do not hunt in an area for up to a year, the numbers of their prey do not decline as they normally would, which affects other areas of the ecosystem in turn. It seems that orca whales can be considered the true apex predator of the ocean now. Why are orcas called killer whales? Are they swimming in the ocean with guns and killing everyone? No. Let's explain why. Dolphins and whales are closely related. Orcas were given the name killer whale by ancient sailors' observations of groups of orcas hunting and preying yeah, on yeah, larger whale species. They called orcas <laughs> Assassina Bayenas, or whale killer. A term that was eventually flipped around to the easier killer whale. Their Latin name, Orsinus orca, also reflects this observation of orcas feeding on large whales. Orsinus means of the kingdom of the dead, and orca refers to a kind of whale. We know that orcas are top predators, yes, but not the vicious whale killer that the ancient mariners thought them to be. If you could give orcas another name, what would you call them? Let me know in the comments below. Killer whales look cute and have a friendlier image than great white sharks, perhaps because of their respective portrayals in movies. Jaws 2 even begins with the beached carcass of a half-eaten orca. Right, right, because Bruce, the, the, that was the name of the, of the animatronic shark in, in Jaws, right? It was 25 feet, 30 feet, I forget. But yeah, this is Cap. We mentioned a lot about the great white sharks, so let's take a look at them too. They can smell a single drop of blood floating in 10 billion drops of water. They can detect movement from as far away as 820 feet. And with powerful streamlined bodies and razor sharp teeth, great white sharks are as scary as it gets. But don't worry, they generally don't eat people, and most attacks on humans aren't fatal anyway. Nevertheless, I recommend you to be sure that you're not bleeding if you're gonna get in the ocean. Great white sharks prefer to gobble up sea lions, seals, dolphins, small-toothed whales, sea turtles, seabirds, and even the rotting flesh of dead animals. They can reach speeds of 43 miles, 69 kilometers per hour, which allows them to surprise their prey and subdue it with a single bite. Great white sharks can even leave the water completely, breaching like whales when attacking prey from underneath. Let's take a look at another animal that's higher up in the food chain, polar bears. Oh, we don't care about polar, bears. polar bears are they're incredible, sometimes paw, and they thrash the bird back and forth until the skin peels away. Then they consume the carcass and feet and weighing up to a ton. Okay. Leopard seals have a- All right, okay, 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 okay. We're over that, we're over that. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Sea wolves, <laughs> orcas, sea wolves. Let's get back to the morbidity show. Does anybody remember this episode of Dateline? I was trying to go look for it, but then I got lazy. So I just said, you know what? Let's just do the Twitter thread. Does anybody remember this episode of Dateline? This is the craziest story I've heard in a long time. So, listen to an old episode of Dateline about a man who died in a car explosion and burned up. The wife eventually moved to another city, got a new boyfriend, but their toddler kept acting out, which people assumed was because of the grief of losing his dad. It got so bad that the babysitter told the mom she couldn't watch her son anymore 
until he got into counseling. Turns out the new boyfriend was in fact her dead husband with a dye job. They stolen a corpse from a graveyard where indigenous, indigenous people were buried and then researched how hot a fire would need to be to burn the body so badly it couldn't be identified. They collected a $100,000 life insurance policy. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. They told their young son daddy was dead and introduced the new boyfriend to him as another man named Jake. This is on Dateline. I can't find the episode. Let's continue. Let's continue. It gets worse. They had gotten him a fake ID with the new name and were researching plastic surgeons in Mexico just before they got caught. When they interviewed the mom, they asked her how, how she could be so cruel as to tell a toddler his father was dead and then confuse him by introducing his dad back into his life as a completely different person. And she basically said, well, all four-year-olds act out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have to find that episode, y'all. I have to. It's my life's mission at this point. Let's continue with the morbidity show. Oklahoma Children's Ministry Director accused of touching foster children, scaring them with demons so they would sleep with him. Lord have mercy. Carrie, thank you for the five on the cash app. Pay attention, pay attention. Former director of children ministries at a Norman church and foster parent has been charged following allegations of sexual abuse. Officials say the investigation began on December 28, 2022 when officers, when the, with the Norman police department were called to a home about an alleged child is touching complaint. According to the probable cause affidavit, the victim had been placed in foster care and was under the supervision of a 45 year old Christopher Forcade. A Forcade accused of putting his hands down girls' underwear inappropriately. Oh, Lord. Officials say the victim's mother called the Norman Police Department after receiving a text and a phone call from her daughter saying she didn't feel safe in Forcade's home. The victim told her mother that Forcade put his hands down her underwear and touched her. Lord Jesus. Um, immediately the victim's mother called DHS, a sexual abuse hotline in the Norman police department court records show DHS arrived and took the children to an advocacy center during an interview with detective. The victim said she went to 4K's bedroom to ask about help with a broken toy bear. She said that 4K told her he couldn't help with the toy, but she could lie in his bed with him and watch TV. She said she fell asleep and woke up to 4K inappropriately touching her. Once he stopped and fell asleep, she said she got up to tell her sister and call her mother. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. 4K had several cameras in the foster home, naked photos of children. According to the probable cause affidavit, detectives noticed several, several cameras throughout the home. However, they learned that the cameras didn't record at night. Investigators were able to search through 4K's devices, which is where they allegedly made a disturbing discovery. The affidavit states that detectives found naked pictures of some of the female foster children who were under the age of 12. 
<sighs> While speaking with alleged uh, other victims, they said 4K would often touch them inappropriately in bed. Christopher told them there were demons in his house, but not in his room in an apparent attempt to scare them into sleeping with him. 4K previously served as the director of children's ministries at First Christian Church of Norman and the service delivery chair at the Fostering Futures organization. Following the investigation, 4K was arrested on multiple complaints and removed from both organizations. DHS also confirmed that the children placed with Mr. 4K to foster parents since 2019 were immediately removed upon learning of these allegations. 4K has now been charged with four counts of lewd or indecent acts to a child under 16 and two counts of procuring or producing pornography. Lord have mercy. Ay, ay, ay. The church, man. I'm telling you, the church. Oh, you found it on Peacock. Girl. Oh, okay. Text it to me. Text me. Text me. Text it to me. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie, for the <laughs> for the love the pivot. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, it is time to pivot. It is time to pivot. I'm tired of this woman fussing at me. And I'm tired of getting my ass whooped by YouTube. So yes, pivot, pivot, pivot. Okay. Yo, Rose, go text that text the link to me. Or it's on or just give me the episode season and um season and episode number. And I'll and I'll find it from there. Okay. Let's continue with no, nah, I don't want to do this story. Let's do this story. This is sad. This is so damn sad. This is sad all the way around. Let me see. Is he gonna give me a link? This is, I don't want that. Give me the link. Wait, wait, wait. Give me the link. I want the actual link to the story. Okay, here we go. Pay attention here. After he realized he had mistakenly left his one-year-old son in the backseat of the car, resulting in a hot car death, Aaron Beck self-deleted himself out of guilt. This is horrible. This is horrible. The family of a Virginia dad who took his own life after discovering he'd accidentally left his toddler son to die in his hot car has penned a heartbreaking obituary for the late father. Aaron Beck, who turned a gun on himself behind his home after finding his son Anderson dead, sacrificed his life to his son in an act of profound devotion and love. Beck, 37, was, uh, was with 18-month-old Anderson when the tragic mishap occurred on June 28th in Chesterfield County, Virginia. When police arrived at Beck's home, they found the car in the driveway with the back door still open and the child's car seat empty. Inside the house, they found a toddler dead, cops said, in a wooded area behind the home. Beck was found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The father and son shared an obituary which described little Anderson as an intelligent little boy who brought his family together and was deeply loved by his parents and surrounding family. Beck, a graduate of Drexel University, worked as a draftsman, although his most devoted focus was his son, Anderson, to whom he gave enormous and endless love. He was generous, kind, caring, and soft with his son. The selflessness of his love 
was a testament to the possibilities of fatherhood, to the possibilities of the heart. A GoFundMe has raised nearly $5,000 to help the grieving family cover funeral costs and other expenses. This is a horrible tragedy on so many levels, and our hearts go out to the family and friends that are going to deal with this. But we will, we will be remiss to not take an opportunity for people to realize how important it is to obviously check your vehicles. This is sad as hell. And this is the GoFundMe. It's at $20,656. They raised, they met their goal. They met their goal. This is sad, man. Oh. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I have, I have nothing for this. I... I have nothing for this. I'm looking on YouTube. Rose Gold is my part-time research assistant. <laughs> She's my part-time researcher. She's the show's researcher. Yeah, this is sad, man. I don't know. So is it, did he do the right thing? Like, he could have, I don't know. He could have did the right thing. No, and he could have went on to have more children. Yeah. I mean, shit, I don't know. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. <laughs> Nick, thank you for the five for the cash app. <laughs> he says, since you pivoted Romanian vampires, Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like Jamie and you're Joe Rogan. I love it. Yes, Jamie and Joe Rogan. Yes, Super Slime Rose Gold. Yeah. Um. See what I mean? That's that's two. It's two funerals if you think about it, because he, you know, he took his he took his own life. So the 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 mother, the wife, then lost her child and her husband. So look at the position that she's in. Was this the best thing for the father to do? You know, had he not done it, he'd have done a you know a few years in prison and could have came out, and they could have had more children. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm conflicted on this one. I, I hate that this this went down the way it did. I, I this bothers me. All right, let's continue with the next part of the morbidity show. I don't want this one. This one. This is the one I want. Where is it at? Give me the link. Okay. Holy cow. Kansas woman who checked into drug rehab in Mexico dismembered body parts put in blender. Oh, I just dealt with some bars. Bars. Kansas woman. Checked into drug rehab in Mexico. Dismembered. Body parts put in blender. Bars. <laughs> After she suffered violent withdrawal symptoms on the first night. Holy shnikey. Celia Yanith Castaneda was taken to the rehab center by her relatives after she returned from the U.S., 
where she had been living for the past 10 years and developed an addiction to drugs and alcohol. On May 18th, during her first night at the Monarch Rehab... Oh, shit. Oh, okay. Yep. There it is. Monarch Rehab Center. Why am I not surprised? Castaneda allegedly had a violent episode because of her withdrawal symptoms and attacked both of the owners, identified as Diana Paola and Claudia Rubia. Paola and Ruby subsequently beat Castaneda to death in retaliation and then tried to hide her dead body by cutting it into pieces. The gruesome details emerged during a recent court hearing in Cuidad Juarez, where the judge read a police report describing the gruesome scene that unfolded at the property. Ah, butterfly. Hey, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Bear with me. Wait, wait, I can't send the link for nothing. The episodes is for Molly and Clayton Daniels. Okay, no, no, no worries. No worries. No worries. Nah, his wife would have left him. You think so? You think his wife would have left him? With that charge, he wouldn't be making out of VA. Uh, wow, okay. All right. Should have another dude. Oh, no. Another dude in two weeks. Don't feel bad for him. All right. Tough crowd tonight. All right. Let's continue. The following morning. Uh, her family received a call from Ruby, the clinic's director, saying that Castaneda had walked out under her own will hours after she had been registered. On May 19th, police initiated a search and visited the clinic where they discovered traces of blood in the kitchen and two rooms where the patients rested. That same day, neighbors in the Cuidad Juarez neighborhood called 911 to make a noise complaint indicating they had, they had heard the loud sounds of music a power saw and a chair falling and breaking. Police visited the property and found a pajama set and slippers covered in blood stains. Uh, Paola received the, the cops at the door and along with Ruby dodged police questions. The pair who have been dating each other. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, ran out of the home, but were arrested immediately in the backyard. Authorities then found plastic buckets filled with human bones and flesh in the bathtub, along with plastic bags containing six large bones and two knee bones. After searching the kitchen, investigators found a blender containing human flesh. The suspects had reportedly attempted to liquefy the victim's genitalia, along with other soft body tissues and intestines. During the hearing, the judge said he withheld from disclosing even more graphic details in order to preserve the dignity of the victim. Quote, for the sake of not re-victimizing the victim, for the sake of her dignity, I will not go on. Wow. The women now face 41 to 80 years in prison for the aggravated femicide of Celia Yanez Castaneda. An autopsy revealed the woman died of blunt force trauma to the head. The judge ruled a gender bias applies because the women took advantage of a person under their care, someone who was vulnerable because of her illness and that they likely would not have done the same to a man. Also, there was a high level of cruelty and hate against the female and they defaced her body after the killing. 
Easy peats. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um. <laughs> Final story of the morbidity uh, show tonight. An ER doctor and crypto founder was found dead in an Arkansas lake more than a week after he went missing in Missouri. This story has been making its rounds. A doctor in the Ozarks whose Forbes called a Bitcoin millionaire went missing on in Missouri on May 21st. His body was found with an apparent gunshot wound in an Arkansas Lake on May 30th. Uh, Dr. John Forsyth 49 was last seen alive on May 21st when security cameras in the parking lot of a public pool in Cassville show him getting into another vehicle after leaving his own car unlocked with his wallet, two phones, a laptop and other items inside. That's according to his brother, Richard Forsyth, who added that the doctor had texted his new fiance that morning saying he would see her soon. His car was later found that day. Investigators haven't said who was driving the other vehicle. A search began after the emergency room physician didn't show up for his May 21st shift at Mercy Hospital in Cassville. Uh, there was no sign of Forsyth until a kayaker noticed his body in Arkansas on May 30th at Beaver Lake, some 20 miles from his last known location. His body had been had an apparent gunshot wound. Um, his family rejects any suggestion that he took his own life. Richard Forsyth told Daily Beast that his, the doctor's behavior was unusual. He wouldn't miss his shift even if his eyeballs were hanging out of, out of their sockets. It was an immediate red flag. Other family members said John Forsyth was a devoted father to his eight kids and seemed happier than he'd been in a long time. They said he never missed a day of work and would often sleep in an RV outside the hospital when he was on call. Dr. Forsyth studied mathematics as an undergraduate, founded... A decentralized cryptocurrency called Onfo. Y'all better be careful out here. It became obvious to me that math-based currencies like Bitcoin would eventually supplant sovereign notes. I mined Bitcoin and Litecoin very early on and held on to them. He told Forbes, the massive appreciation of these assets allowed me to invest in other cryptocurrency technology, which ultimately led to the development of Onfo a platform that helps people earn money through network mining. Authorities have not said whether they believe Forsyth was killed or took his own life. Initially, when Forsyth's empty car was found, investigators said there were no signs of foul play, but that was before the body was found. It's also unclear what Forsyth's connection might be to the second vehicle seen on the surveillance video. Authorities have not confirmed any information about the video, including if it was taken before or after Forsyth may have texted his fiance. There's no information on how Forsyth got from Cassville to Beaver Lake when and where he died. Mm, let's see. Newly engaged Forsyth was also recently divorced on May 10th of this year. A judge ordered Forsyth to pay his ex-wife 3000 $999 in child support a month plus another $15,000 a month. Oh my God. Missouri court records show he was married and divorced twice to the same woman between 95 and 2022. Both his brother and Ryan Ricketts, his ex-wife's divorce attorney said the split was amicable. The pair initially married in Clark County, Nevada. 
He filed for divorce in April 2019. Oh, interesting. But the couple remarried in July 2020. Okay. His former wife lives in Idaho and was given custody of the couple's minor children. Still, John Forsyth continued to have strong relationship with them. His brother and the woman's divorce attorney said... Forsyth's ex-wife did not wish to be interviewed. She is just as devastated. I mean, just shocked. She never saw anything of this. Kind. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so breaking news. Nick found the link for me. Nick found the link for me to that Dateline episode. Let's go. Where is it at? Where is it at? Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this is a fucking mess. Is this it? Nope, that's not it. That's not it. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait. Okay, what episode is this? Molly Matheson. Um, it's clear Molly been more than another one. No, no, no. Wait, what, what story is this one for? Because I was looking for the one with... The, the, they, they faked the death of the father. Right? Molly and Clayton. Okay, let's uh let's see what this is when this what what this is. Let me, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Wait. Turn this down. Okay. Who is this message for? It's for people age 50 and over. What is it about? It's about guaranteed life insurance at a cost that fits your budget. In fact, it starts as low as $9.95 a month. And how do you get it? Just log on to colonialpen.com. You'll also get this free beneficiary planner. Molly and that's colonialpen.com. Yeah. Click now. That's not, yeah, that's not this one. The grown up Molly. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm looking for the one where, yeah, the, they, Molly and Clayton. Yeah, this isn't, yeah. You know what? Let's do this. Let me see if I can. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I got you. Let me just type it in. Molly and Clayton Daniels. Here we go. Okay, this is them. This is them, right? Okay, let me see. Oh yeah, this is this is them. No. Okay, this is them. Okay, okay. I want to find a video though. Cuz I don't want to read the article per se. Hold up. I'm I'm going to find it though. Don't worry. Not to worry, y'all. Okay, what are we going to do is just go to videos. 
I hope it's not giving me no videos. Only Clayton Daniels. Oh, is this is it. All the ways to have a Whopper could unite the nation No matter if you like Impossible or Double Bacon We can agree there's a Whopper for you 200,000 ways, boom, there's the proof F-E-K, have it your way Molly's sister Melissa tells investigators she was visiting and she went to use the bathroom and she saw a man lying asleep in the closet Okay, never mind I'll pull this up is it okay okay see that's the same link yeah this is the same link okay wait 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 Okay, got it. Molly's sister, Melissa, tells investigators she was visiting and she went to use the bathroom and she saw a man lying asleep in the closet. She told Molly and Molly said, well, let me see you wait here. Okay, gotcha. Molly went back. Rearrange the closet to make it look okay, like there were pants hanging down into some shoes. A young man died in a mysterious car crash. But was it an accident? Oh. Forensic science uncovered what really caused that crash. And the truth devastated three different families. Just before dawn in central Texas, a motorist saw a car on fire off the side of the road down an embankment. By the time firefighters got there, there was very little left. I've never seen a car or a vehicle burn that badly before where the wheels were melted to the rocks. In the rubble, investigators found the remains of the driver burned beyond recognition. Okay, here we go. We need to identify the body that was in the vehicle, which wasn't much of a body. The car was a 1999 Chevy Cavalier registered to Molly and Clay Daniels, <laughs> a young couple with two small children who lived in nearby Leander, Texas. Okay. Police discovered that Molly Daniels was home with her children at the time of the accident. She had called me relatively early that morning, hysterical because Clayton wasn't home and she had to get to work and he had the car and she didn't know where he was. Through his personal effects, family members identified the remains as those of Clay Daniels. They found the remains of some tennis shoes that uh, Clay's family members identified as Clay's shoes. They found a Harley-Davidson pin that had gone on a, a hat that Clay used to wear and a silver necklace that they identified as being Clay's. I figured that Clayton had been drinking, was at a party somewhere, um, or just driving fast and lost control. Clay Daniels, an unemployed automobile mechanic, was just 24 years old. Surprisingly, not everyone was sorry he was dead. Absolutely, he's a loser. I, I've always felt that he was not the best material for her. And I wondered about being a daddy material, but it was her choice to make. 
others expressed the same sentiments at his funeral. The memorial, that was a very interesting thing because there was just so much there. His best friend got up and spoke, and he actually told people that Clay was an ass. No, he wasn't very well liked. He seemed like sort of a loafer and a layabout and a, and a sex offender. Mm. So, I mean, what good could you say about him? Clay was not a model citizen. He had recently been convicted for the sexual assault of his seven-year-old cousin and was sentenced to 30 days in prison and 10 years probation. The crash occurred just three days before he was to start serving his time. This car fire was June the 18th of 2004. Clay was supposed to be going to jail that Monday the 21st of 2004. And so they thought the timing of that was a little bit suspicious. And police had another angle to pursue. The parents of the sexual assault victim were angry that Clay was sentenced to only 30 days in prison. The sexual assault victim's father okay, made- Okay, that's jail, that's not prison. Anytime you get sentenced to anything under a year, that's jail. Anything more than a year is prison, but okay comments prior to this accident that he wanted clay to go away so we were thinking maybe the father of the victim made clay go away nevertheless the community reached out to molly daniels a widow at the age of 21 who had two young children to support on an office receptionist salary my gosh she had people sending her money people she did not know sent her money people would her co-workers would put groceries in the house they would do everything they'd been over backwards for her she got uh, this discount babysitter in the neighborhood because she put up signs, I'm the poor grieving widow and I need help with childcare. Oh. But that generosity ended when less than a month after Clay died, Molly told friends that she had a new boyfriend and that she was the beneficiary of Clay's $100,000 life insurance policy. Her own mother even turned on her. Absolutely, she was raised better than this. There were days that I just kicked myself, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Clay Daniels' family identified his burned remains by some of his personal items found in the car. Okay. There was very little that remained from the fire. There was only 14 pounds of body mass that was remaining, and they didn't have a head, didn't have hands or fingers or toes, nothing to fingerprint. But the medical examiner wanted to be sure, so he extracted the bone marrow from Clay Daniels' hip bone, hoping that enough of his mitochondria survived the fire for DNA testing. Since mitochondrial DNA is passed maternally, mm -hmm. scientists would try to compare it to the mitochondrial DNA profile of Clay's mother, Lori. Wait, wait, wait. But wait, testing wait, would take wait, up to six months. Wait. They're gonna run it through the mother? They're gonna run the they're gonna run the test the test the bloodline through the mother? Not the father. But the mother. Huh. Interesting. Isn't that how them people and isn't it how them Italian so you are the seat of your mother not your father and so then you know when the white slaves before civil war they would they would go by the mo hmm. okay just checking it's not like on CSI on TV at all, so it doesn't happen within the span of an hour. In the meantime, investigators noticed some inconsistencies at the accident scene. The lack of skid marks on the road indicated that Clay took no corrective action before the crash. The speed limit was 60 miles per hour, and the car was barely moving when it went down the embankment. There was no momentum coming off the cliff. 
it looked as if somebody had just pushed it off or just drove off the cliff at a slow rate of speed because all the rocks, the trees on the way down were disturbed in a path that the vehicle took. And the car's gas tank was intact. This raised questions about the source of the fire. My instincts told me that this was not an accident, that somebody was killed. And I stayed with that feeling. That's why I told the sergeant that I was calling the, the experts in. That expert was arson investigator Janine Mather. The first thing she noticed was that the entire driver's seat had been consumed by fire. Normal vehicle fires with a body inside, there usually is um, body fluids and remains on the seat. And in this case, there was no body fluids located in the vehicle and no remains on the seat. Mather then checked all possible sources for a fire. The fuel lines, the ignition switch, the starter, the battery. Everything was intact. I looked at the vehicle inside and out and underneath and ruled out all accidental causes of ignition. Crime scene investigators gathered the fire debris and placed it in sealed canisters. At the lab, they inserted activated charcoal strips and then heated the cans. The strips were then put into a solvent and tested with gas chromatograph mass spectrometry. This revealed- So the, the, the local SA sheriff was like, hey, Holmes, I don't know. <laughs> Little homie was like, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't falling for it. The fire was started with large amounts of charcoal lighter fluid. This is funny. When the results came back that it was positive for charcoal starter fluid, I knew that we had an arson, an intentionally set fire. And just as investigators heard this news, they learned something else. Molly Daniels' sister, Melissa, had been visiting Molly when she experienced one of the most bizarre incidents she had ever encountered. Melissa had gone in to get a Q-tip out of the bathroom, turned around and looked, and there was a guy what? laying in the floor of the closet, but his head was up in the corner. She couldn't see anything but from the waist down. And he was wearing boxers. And she went out to Molly and she goes, there's a man asleep in your closet. She goes, no, there's not. But when Molly looked in her closet, she didn't see anyone there. What? But things started getting kind of weird after that. Needless to say, investigators found the incident suspicious and now wondered whether Molly was somehow involved in her husband's murder. Hmm. Five months after the car crash, the Sheriff's Department in Burnett County, Texas, finally got the results of the DNA test on the remains found in the car. Okay. The DNA revealed that the remains were not those of Clay Daniels. When DNA came back and wasn't Clayton, we were like, where's Clayton, and who is this person that was in the vehicle? To find the answers, investigators put Clay's grieving wife, Molly, under surveillance. For days, her routine was perfectly normal, until she met her new boyfriend, Jake Gregg, for lunch. She got into that man's car, and then the two of them went off to Taco Bell. Investigators decided to go inside to get a better look at Molly's new boyfriend. <laughs> when Captain Paul Nelson walked by their table, he noticed that Jake Gregg bore a striking resemblance to Clay Daniels, although his hair color was different. I mean, he looked identical. If he could have crawled into that burrito, he, he probably would have. But the man insisted he was Jake Gregg and produced a Texas identification card to prove it. But Captain Nelson didn't buy it and placed him under arrest. During police questioning, he finally admitted he was Clay Daniels. Clay's brilliant disguise consisted of nothing more than dyeing his hair black. And other than that, he hadn't changed his appearance at all. Clay had several motives for staging his death. He did not want to go to jail for 30 days, and he did not want to be a registered sex offender. Oh. And 
he had a $100,000 life insurance policy. Mm. Molly insisted she knew nothing about Clay faking his own death until he came home one day about a month after the fire and told her what he had done. She just tried to portray it like she didn't know that he was alive until he just called her out of the blue about a month later and said, hey, baby, I'm alive. I find that very hard to believe. If my husband came back from the dead, I'd be asking a lot of questions and I'd be very mad. Clay admitted it was he who was sleeping in the closet when Molly's sister saw him. He said Molly spoke loud enough that it woke him up, and he was able to get out of the closet before his sister-in-law returned. See, there's no one here. Yes. I mean, I know that there was... Clay said he planned to start a new life with Molly and the children after the $100,000 life insurance payment arrived. They were going to go to Mexico, and he was going to have plastic surgery done on his face and have dental surgery done so he'd have teeth. And Molly is going to have a tummy tuck, too. Apparently, wow. a little bonus of the plan. I guess they get so much money from the insurance. Clay Daniels refused to identify the body burned in the car fire. Clay never, never divulged any information to us to help our investigation. Did they murder somebody? Did they find a dead homeless man? What did mm. they do? How did they do this? However, Clay was more than happy to talk to his fellow inmates. I guess they're sitting up late at night, you know, shooting the breeze. And Clay had told his cellmate that he had actually dug up a corpse from a graveyard. And that's what they had put in the car and set it on fire. Investigators searched Pebble Mound Cemetery, the one closest to the site of the car fire. Mm -hmm. They knew from experience that criminals don't like to travel far with a corpse in the car. Sure enough, they found a grave close to the front gate that looked as if it had been tampered with. I could tell that the grave was disturbed by the crevices and the holes that was left. The marker had been moved. The flowers had been moved. And I knew by looking at the other grave sites that that was not normal. The headstone bore the name Charlotte Davis. She died six months before the car crash at the age of 81. Their suspicions were confirmed when they exhumed Charlotte's casket and discovered it was empty. Investigators now wanted to know whether Molly Daniels was involved, and if so, they needed evidence to prove it. Clay Daniels confessed to starting the arson fire and defrauding the insurance company of $100,000 in life insurance. His wife, Molly, denied any involvement, but investigators didn't believe her. When Molly first talked to the police and told them that ridiculous story that she didn't know that Clay was still alive until a month later, um, she was sticking by that story for quite some time, and apparently that's what she'd been telling her lawyer, too. Investigators examined Molly's work computer, but they weren't optimistic. Whoa, 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 this by this time, six months had passed since the car crash. Depending on how often the computer is used, there's a possibility that uh, some of the evidence that we would have recovered ordinarily would be overwritten. But investigators got a huge break. Molly's computer had been invaded by a keystroke virus right before the staged accident. Interesting. What the worm actually did was it recorded every letter, every window she opened, every email, just any kind of thing that she's typing in the computer, it recorded and into a text file and saved it. Computer forensic experts did a word search to identify what kind of information Molly had been looking for on the internet. Here we we go. were finding words like unidentifiable body, forensics on a body, burned body, burned car, gasoline fire, 1500 degrees Fahrenheit, just words like that. This proved that Molly not only knew about Clay's plans, but was actively involved. 
oh, it was the happiest day of my life when we got that computer forensic exam. It was just, I mean, there was no way she could deny that she had been involved from day one of the mm -hmm. planning mm -hmm. when we saw that computer forensic evidence. What does surprise me is that she was too stupid to do this. She was so stupid that she did this kind of thing and didn't think about the consequences and didn't think about the possibility of getting caught. Police obtained a search warrant for Molly's house and found even more forensic evidence. Okay. During the search warrant of their residence, um, we found uh, in the kitchen two containers of charcoal starter fluid. Both of them were tested, and one was consistent with what was found in the vehicle. Terrible. Prosecutors believe that Clay and Molly planned this crime for months. They looked in the obituaries to identify a grave to rob. Ideally, someone elderly who didn't have many family members visiting her grave. They chose 81-year-old Charlotte Davis. Six months after her death, they dug up her body, drove to the ravine, and set fire to their car with Charlotte's body inside. Mm. That's cold. Clay threw some of his personal items in the fire so they could be used for identification. But the DNA testing proved the body wasn't Clay Daniels, and gas chromatography found remnants of the lighter fluid. Mm -hmm. When confronted with all this evidence, Molly Daniels finally confessed. She said that they watched a lot of Law and & Order and CSI, and they got the idea to do this from those shows. Hilarious. And I asked her, do y'all not watch the end of the shows? Because usually the criminals get they caught. Get caught. Yeah. She just laughed. Molly Daniels pleaded guilty to insurance fraud and hindering her husband's apprehension. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Ooh, shit. 20 years. Oh. You do the crime, you do the time. Clay Daniels pled guilty to insurance fraud, arson, and desecration of a corpse. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison, plus an additional 20 years for the sexual assault charge. Damn. The body of Charlotte Davis was reinterred. So had he just did the 30 days in jail and registered as an offender? The people carrying her casket were the ones who put Clay and Molly behind bars. Texas investigators say it is among the most bizarre cases they've ever seen. They were also appalled by the deception Molly and Clay perpetrated on their own children. To tell the little boy who's four, almost five years old, that the man that he has known his whole life as his father is not his daddy when he runs to him and hugs him and says, hey, daddy, I love you. To have the man say, oh, I'm not your daddy, I'm mommy's new boyfriend, Jake. That's crazy. And to have Molly tell him that over and over, no, no, that's not daddy, that's Jake. You can't even imagine what that would do to a child's mind. You just hope that, that, uh, that their children get proper mental care yeah. in the next couple years and get, yeah. get raised well by their grandparents, because otherwise you can have another one, another Clayton Daniels on our hands in 15, 15 years. 15 years, <laughs> yeah. Without Amazing the years. science, investigators were convinced that Clayton and Molly Daniels might have gotten away with it. They thought that the fire would destroy all evidence and there wouldn't be enough remains for DNA testing. And they were almost right. Lois scum walks of life. I mean, they don't, they don't deserve to be on this planet. But that's just my personal opinion. If it hadn't have been Damn, for uh, every- Homeboy wants him, <laughs> he wants him not breathing. Shit. 
I mean, they didn't kill anybody, but damn, I get it, bro. I get it, but damn. Everybody being on their toes in this case, listening to their gut, listening to their instincts, and then pursuing all the DNA, the forensic investigation, the arson investigation, we wouldn't be where we are today with these two people in prison. Okay, okay. Oh, you know, I take that back. That He did have the pedal charts. Or oh, he got to, well, you know what? Yeah, you got to get them both out of here. I take that back. They both got to get up out of here because crimes against children is 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 a no-go. Yo, okay. Wow, y'all. Good job, everybody. Good job. Listen, I wasn't ready. We got killer whales out here stopping boats. We got people faking the deaths. And, oh, my Lord. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, I, I peeped it the other day. It's a good series. So, um, yeah, we're doing a pivot, man. We pivoted. We're going to figure out what we're going to do with this, but we pivoting. I don't know where we're going to end up, but we're going to end up somewhere. So shout out to everybody that, uh, that came through, you know, um, the Mexican cop knew he's seen real murders. <laughs> William Talatevez, he knew what time it was. <laughs> I'll make it out of here. Thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, Shout out to Carrie and Nick for the for the for the cash apps. Uh, yeah, man, three hours. Oh man, two hours and fifty five minutes. You know, okay, I got one more, but it's not morbid. You know what? I'm gonna be petty for ten minutes. Can I be petty for ten minutes? Just can I be petty for ten minutes? Yes. Okay. Let me be petty for ten minutes. Hey, I I know y'all gonna be like, dang, slide, don't don't do it. Why, you know? Listen, I'm not here to kick anybody while they're down. Two things I want to cover for the next five minutes, and I'm gonna get out of here. I promise. I promise. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. Cause I know some of y'all waiting for me to say something about. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm gonna let him live. I'm gonna let him live. Even though he said what he said to me first, I'm gonna let him live. So, um, y'all go ahead and tell him he ain't got nothing to worry about. I'm gonna allow him some grace. But if he ever mentions my name again, moving forward, I will not spare anything. Okay. So I'm gonna give him his grace, but if he ever mentions my name moving forward ever again, I'm going to unleash on him. Period. All right. So with that being said, let's get to the the, the next, the petty part of the more the morbidity show. Two things. Download, download. Two things. Okay. Let's do an update on Apple Watts. Let's do an update on Apple Watts. Apple Watts. Apple Watts. I'm Star-Lord, man. No, Apple Watts, the model chick that was involved in a horrific, horrific accident. This woman will never, ever be the same again. This woman will never be the same again. All right. 
Wait, 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 wait. Broke down palace was trash. The acting was so bad. The FBA woman trying to fake Jamaican accent. That movie needs a re. Bro, that's nit you're nitpicking at this point. It's a good movie for what it was trying to convey about the justice system overseas. I mean, we can find anything to nitpick about, but I mean, you know, Kate Young, a young ass Kate Beckinsale, a young Claire Danes. You know, yeah, okay, Jamaican accent. I get it. I get it. But don't let that take away from the message in the movie, right? Ooh, Apple Watch, y'all. Ooh, Lord have mercy. I, I hate seeing it like this, but it, this woman will never, ever recover. Okay? Never, ever recover. She's done. Let's go. Uh-oh. I don't care about the music. This woman is done. Is this her physical therapy session? Is this her physical therapy session? Now, she's come a long way. But she ain't never going to be the same again, man. She ain't never going to be the same again, unfortunately. All right. Yeah, this is her, this is her physical therapy. And you know what the weird thing is? She's in pretty good shape. The weird thing is she's in pretty good. I mean, her shape is, you know, she's in, what is she? Was she like a size four or five? Like sh her shape looks good. Like I'm shocked, but her shape looks damned good. But she ain't never going to be the same again, y'all. You know. Yeah, you can only hope that um she's being taken care of properly by, by loved ones. You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, yeah, a couple caveats is like her body is in pretty good shape. Considering what she's been through. You know? Now, will she ever be, like, fully functioning, like, to the point where she won't need help? Probably not. I mean, for the most part, I'm sure she can do things on her own for the most part. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is good. It's good progress, but, you know, she ain't never going to be 100%. Of course not, but... All right, that's the first part. I just said it really wasn't petty. Um, let's thank Rose Gold for this. I, she sent me the clip, the Vlad clip, Ashford and Simpson. If you believe what this man says, we're drug dealers in Detroit. Shout out to Rose Gold for this. Um, Vlad's... I'm sure Vlad going to get me, but whatever. You know, well, I will go back and trim it out, whatever the case, if need be. But this is from Robert Layden, a.k.a. Uh, Robert Layden, a.k.a. Beast Simon out of Detroit. He says Ashford and Simpson were drug dealers. Let's let's I will take it for what it, what it is. But the funny part about it, who, 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 who was my rivals? was Ashford and Simpson. Ashford and Simpson. 
They were his rival competitors. Rival dope competitors. Let's go. You ever heard of them? Uh, the singers? The singers. Okay. Yes. Why were they your rivals? They was in the same field I was in. There it is there. Do you believe this man? Why would he have any reason to lie? Why would he have any reason to lie? Yes, you did, sis. Yes, you did. I need answers. I need answers. At sweet looking ass Nick Ashford. And so that means, so Nick, sweet looking Nick Ashford. And then Valerie is probably the, the head honcho behind the scenes. Like, so Louis and Jerome. So we got a Louis and Jerome situation. I need I need information. Were they out here peddling drugs to the community? All right, all right, that's it for my show. Y'all get out of here. Sunday night, you know, Monday's new work day, work week. We gotta get up and get and be productive. So, um, okay, I told okay, my, I told you my cousin sat in the kitchen and heard that shit. I said, man, I ain't. Sh- yeah, I would rewind it. But Vlad is Vlad. Vlad don't like people using this stuff. So if I need to trim this out, the original will be on Spotify. Oh, wait. How many spot followers do I have on Spotify? How many followers do I have on Spotify? Come on, come on, come on. Not that, not that. Yo, I have 107 Come on, come, come get with, get down with your boy. I have 107 followers on Spotify. Shout out to everybody that follows me on Spotify. Come follow me on Spotify is where it all be, all the nonsense. I'm trying to get me a baby Joe Rogan deal. Like, can I get like a baby Joe Rogan deal? Like a mini Joe Rogan deal? Like, baby. Like, tiny. Give me a tiny Joe Rogan deal. So shout out to all 170 y'all that follow me on Spotify. If you're looking for anything, it's on Spotify, it's on Rumble, it's on Patreon, it's on On the Wake Up. Um, I I get it, YouTube. I, I li- I'm listening. The wife done cussed me out. I I hear you. I hear y'all talking to me. I'm gonna do right. Everything you do to me. What she say? Everything you do to me. Spotify is popping. With that being said, y'all get out of here. Thank y'all for hanging out. Y'all good night. Peace. Wait, wait, wait. What should I end this with? You know what? Let's just do an all-star cast. Let's just do an all-star cast tonight because it's a good show. Everybody wants, to, wants their little moment to shine. I, I got you. Sensational. How tall are you? I'm only 5'5". Five five. Super slides 5'5 five five and gets plenty of air.
peaches, 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 peaches. Oh, yeah. Oh, peaches. Peaches. Peace out, y'all.